friend. We are all interested in the future, for that is where you and I are going to spend the rest of our lives. And remember, my friend, future events such as these will affect you in the future. You are interested in the unknown, the mysterious, the unexplainable. That is why you are here. And now, for the first time, we are bringing to you the full story of what happened on that fateful day. We are giving you all the evidence based only on the secret testimony of the miserable souls who survived this terrifying ordeal. The incidents, the places. My friend, we cannot keep this a secret any longer. Let us punish the guilty. Let us reward the innocent. My friend, can your heart stand the shocking facts about Grave robbers from outer space. Hello and welcome to yet another... No, wait. Hold on. Hold on. Hold on. Hold on. No more monoliths. Oh, wait. Well, maybe later on. Where was I? Where was I? Hello and welcome to the Paranormal Sun, coming to you live from Tower Studios. I'm JT, and each week, I'll be your tour guide as we explore the unexplained. Well, my friends, it's been a very interesting week here in Tower Studios. It's been a good week. Lots of monoliths, lots of other things. I'll tell you one thing, you're really going to enjoy tonight's episode. I had an awesome interview with Russell from Hangar 18 Radio. And you name it, we talked about it. We talked about everything from ancient aliens to Roswell to tomatoes to World War II, Pearl Harbor, 9-11, COVID, you name it. Just a very brief couple words of warning to you. First off, folks, you already know me. You know how JT is at the Paranormal Sun. I'm not here to divide or upset people, but there are things that we're going to talk about that sometimes not everyone's going to like. So just be aware in this episode, we do talk about 9-11. We do talk about COVID. It's pretty tame, I feel. However, I would like to just warn you up front that if this is something that may trigger you, when you get to those parts, you just might want to skip through. I've added some excellent little Easter eggs in there, too, that I think you're going to find awesome. Even Russell hasn't heard these yet, so I hope you really enjoy them. It's been a really interesting week on the show, as I say. I've been very, very busy. I covered the monolith wave, as I was asked to do by several people. I had one person contact me. I didn't think too much about it. Then another, then another, then another. So I ended up doing seven episodes in eight days. And I would have done another episode. I would have done eight and nine, except for I came down with a fever. So rather than try and cram that through on top of everything else, I've decided to incorporate the latest update into the news of the damned on this episode. But folks, trust me, you'll really enjoy this interview. It's the first interview that I've had on The Paranormal Sun, but I really do think that you're going to enjoy it. I was also recently on Russell's show as the monolith expert, which was really a feather in my cap. I don't know if you get a Boy Scout badge for that, but it was interesting nonetheless. So when that episode comes out, I'll make sure to let you know you can go over there and check it out at Hangar 18 Radio. So aside from that, everyone, thank you so much, as always, for listening to what I have to say. It really means the world to me. Instagram, I'm in the middle of trying to spread a bit of Christmas cheer. It's been a difficult year for people all over the world. I've definitely been kicked in the crotch by 2020, 
I don't have a lot to give as far as material things. However, when I was a boy, my mother used to practice the 12 days of Christmas. She would give small gifts to certain people, family, friends that had always looked out and supported her and ourselves throughout the year. And oftentimes they were things that were homemade because we just didn't have the money to go out and buy lavish gifts for, for people. So I was thinking about what could I do this year for the listening audience and also for the people who have supported the Paranormal Sun. I really wish I could do a giveaway for you folks. I really do, but I can't. I don't have a budget. On top of that, I need to replace my microphone. It's on the fritz, and the last thing I can do is have the show be down for two or three weeks while I try and scrape together profits to buy another microphone. So what I am doing is I'm rolling out Mom's idea with a little bit of a twist. If 12 days are great, 14 are even better. So on Instagram, each day starting today, I'm going to be posting up someone, whether it's just a content page or a business or a service or just a person who's been very helpful, very supportive, and are genuinely good people. So if you want to check out things like that, go over and check us out at the Instagram page. Now, in saying that, you can follow the Paranormal Sun on Instagram. There's a Paranormal Sun Facebook page. I will be replacing that with a Facebook group in the not-too-distant future. I've heard some things about algorithms with Facebook. Facebook's really been uh, marching down a authoritarian path, let's say, in the last few months. So I'm not surprised. It's been suggested to me that it would be better off if I had a group for the podcast and for the listeners to go in and comment. And then that way you'll also get updates in, from the group. You won't necessarily from the page. So anyone who's already signed up in the, in the page, I'll add to the group. I'll send you an invite. Thank you, everyone from all over the world for listening to my voice. I'll have a bit more of an update for you as we get into the New Year's show. But I can tell you that I know as of the last time I checked, the program has been listened to in 33 countries around the world and 41 of the 50 U.S. states. So from the bottom of my heart, thank you so much for listening. If you'd like to support the Paranormal Sun further, you can head over to theparanormalsun.com. There's a PayPal link there. You can drop in a few dollars. You can also support on Patreon. If you don't have the ability to support financially, I fully understand. How can you support the Paranormal Sun in that instance? Well, you can listen to the podcast. You can share it with people who you know that might be interested in these things. You can go on to places like Apple iTunes and give the program a review. And most importantly, you can keep listening. Like I say, I really appreciate everyone who takes the time to listen to the program. And thank you from the bottom of my heart. I couldn't do it without you. So I'm going to give you a very quick rundown of what's up with the show for the rest of the year. So this episode is obviously a very excellent interview with Russell from Hangar 18 Radio. Next week, I'll be covering another UFO case. I don't want to give you the details just yet, but it was a fair ways in the past. Excellent case, though. It's considered one of the best cases of a close encounter by many authorities in the UFO field. After that, I'll be having another interview episode. Again, I don't want to spill the beans just yet, but you'll find that one fascinating. And then the plan is to release on New Year's Eve the 2021 Prediction Show. So if you haven't already, send your predictions through. You can contact me on social media. 
But probably the best way is to just email your predictions to tpspredictions at gmail.com. And I'll read them on air, and then I'll put them in the Tower Studios vault. And next year on New Year's Eve, we'll read them, and we'll see who had hits and who had misses. There's only two rules. The first rule is no assassinations. On top of everything else this year, the last thing I need is to get a visit by some men in trench coats wanting to know why I read on the air that there would be an assassination attempt, and it happened. The second rule is you can make up to three predictions, so send them through, and I'll read them on the air for you. I do plan to have a couple of guests on that episode. I've held off to tell you who those guests are going to be just yet, simply because of the fact that we're trying to align our recording schedule. But rest assured, folks, there will be a prediction show on New Year's Eve. If something happens, then I'll do it myself, solo host. But that is not the plan. Definitely the plan is to have a couple of hosts and have a lot of fun with it. I'll definitely be making some predictions. I've asked them to make some predictions. And I've asked some friends of the show to make some predictions. So it should be an excellent, fun night. Should be a great way to ring in the new year. So with all that having been said, folks, I'm not going to drag this out too long tonight because we've got an excellent long-form interview, and I want you to be able to get into it. So now we're going to move into the news of the damned. Now for those of you who are new to the show, Charles Fort was one of the founding fathers of the paranormal and the unexplained fields as we know them. He's one of the first people that started gathering information from magazines and newspapers and other periodicals and structuring them into books and releasing them so that you could look at things like strange lights in the sky, sea serpents, ghost ships, all of these sorts of things. And Charles Fort referred to anything that was excluded by science or ignored as damned data. Therefore, every week on the show, I cover the news of the damned as an homage to Charles Fort. Okay, folks, so let's get into it. So as always, for those of you who don't know, there'll be links to all of these articles in the show notes, and it is quite interesting. All four of the articles I'm going to read to you tonight, as you would expect with the way that the last week and a bit has gone, all of these are monolith-related. So the first article here... So the first article here is from the New York Times... And this one is titled, California Men Declare Themselves Makers of Pine Mountain Monolith. Four artist fabricators say they made the mysterious manifestation in stainless steel that sprang up in Addis Cadero. Meanwhile, two others rise. For the first time, someone has taken credit for erecting one of the monoliths that have popped up in the last few weeks, riveting the world. A group of four artists and fabricators unveiled themselves on Saturday as the creators of the stainless steel curiosity that was placed atop Pine Mountain in Addis Cadero, California, on Tuesday and shared a YouTube video of a newly made replacement going up after some young men unceremoniously topped the original and put a cross in its spot, live-streaming themselves in the process. We intended for it to be a piece of guerrilla art, but when it was taken down in such a malicious manner, we decided we needed to replace it. Wade McKenzie, one of California Monolith's creators, said in an interview on Sunday morning, the news of the origins of the monolith was first reported by the website Your Tango. McKenzie said he built the three-sided steel structure with the help of his friend Travis Kenny, Kenny's father, Randall, and Jared Riddle, a cousin of Travis Kenny. Early Friday morning, another shiny steel tower was discovered in downtown Las Vegas, 
And again, you'll know I covered that over. Under the Fremont Street Experience, a five-block entertainment district in the city's casino corridor. And yet another was found Saturday morning in Los Padres National Forest by campers at a site about 100 miles southeast of the one in Atascadero. The San Luis Obispo Tribune reported, according to the Tribune, the Los Padres monolith has caution written in red letters at the top and features an image of a UFO. The creators of the Atascadero monolith told the news outlet on Sunday they had not placed that monolith there. The fascination with the monoliths, named for their resemblance to those in the 1968 Stanley Kubrick film 2001 A Space Odyssey, began when the first was discovered in the Utah desert on November 18th. Four unknown men dismantled it on November 27th and carted it off in pieces in a wheelbarrow. Then two apparent copycats appeared, the first atop a mountain in Romania, and the next the Atascadero sculpture. Both were taken down within days, the Romanian one anonymously and the California one by the men who dragged it down the mountain Thursday morning chanting, Christ is King. Yes, top-notch men. Atascadero, a city of 30,000 people near the Central Coast, is the lifelong home of the three men who installed the Pine Mountain artwork. They say the year has been trying for all of them. Business has been tough, and Mackenzie's father died a few weeks ago of complications from COVID-19. When the first monolith was found in Utah, Travis Kenny said it piqued their interest. We were like, damn, check out this art that people are traveling hours to see. He said both he and McKinney identify as sci-fi geeks and are fans of 2001. After the second one popped up in Romania, we were like, there needs to be a third, he said. And then we were like, screw it, why not us? They said they built the original out of stainless steel in just a few hours on Tuesday and carried the 10-foot-long piece two miles up the 1,300-foot mountain trail. Not to boast, but we motored up that thing, McKenzie said. We're all nearly 50 years old, and it proved we were all in pretty good shape to be able to carry a 200-pound piece up a mountain in a relatively short period of time. A hiker discovered it the next morning. We had no idea this would go viral, McKenzie said. People were driving from four hours away from L.A. or San Francisco to see it. After it was torn down, McKenzie said the men reached out to the mayor, Heather Moreno, offering to create a permanent installation somewhere in the city. But she said, no, the best spot would be back up on the hill, he said. So this time they made it harder to move and enlisted others to help. It's got about 500 pounds of concrete in there, McKenzie said. No joke. It's got a whole subsection that's all structural steel, and it sinks about four feet into the ground. Good. Good. Hopefully that keeps the jackasses from ruining it this time, folks. But that's not an invitation for somebody to try to tear it down, McKenzie quickly added. The men lugged it back to the mountaintop. The twinkling lights in the city below reflecting in its shiny black surface. In their video posted on Friday, the structure is jimmied into place under cover of darkness while one man shouts, You can't bring me down. Terry Banish, the deputy city manager of Atascadero, said in an email on Sunday evening that the city is happy to see it return. It brings back that joyful spirit that was taken away, and it gives something for people to look forward to in a difficult time, she said. I couldn't agree more. There are lots of people who have been fascinated with the whole monolith wave. And I think it's a good thing. I don't really see it causing a lot of issues, aside from maybe the one in Utah and the fact that people said that it damaged pretty pristine areas. Now, I told you we had four articles, folks, but I've decided to just pop a fifth on the radar because of in that article, I didn't realize there was another one in San Luis Obispo. Now, I've been there. I've been in that area 
quite a few times when I lived in Southern California, so I am very curious to see what this looks like. I'll try and keep this one short. So this one's from the SanLuisObispo.com from the paper there, and it says that mysterious monolith is back in Addis Cadero, and a similar structure has appeared elsewhere in San Luis Obispo County. Days after installing a towering three-sided metal monolith in Addis Cadero Stadium Park, only to have it removed, a group of local artists remade the structure and installed it on the same site. Addis Cadero residents Wade McKenzie, Travis Kenny, Randall Kenny, and Bay Area resident Jared Riddle said they built the monolith to spread positivity and get people outdoors during the COVID-19 pandemic. McKenzie and Travis Kenny told the Tribune on Sunday they are frequently on the hill in Stadium Park mountain biking or hiking. So when they saw the two monoliths pop up in Utah and Romania, they figured they should build a third one. Kenny said they were inspired by the movie 2001, which we've already heard. The artist restored the Addis Cadero monolith to its original site around the same time that another monolith surfaced on Los Padres National Forest lands southwest of Pozo. Matt Carver said that he and his friends were out on a camping trip on Saturday morning when they stumbled upon the tall metal structure on High Mountain Lookout Road. Carver said the group heard engines late Friday night near the camping spot and assumed they belonged to a couple of off-road drivers having fun in the mountains. The friends found a monolith on their drive back to San Luis Obispo, he said. We were super happy that someone or some group went to all that work, Carver wrote in a Facebook message to the Tribune. It really did make our day to find it. I think we had huge smiles on our faces for the rest of the ride home. The second monolith resembles the monolith in Addis Cadero, but the structure's top features caution, written in red, and a picture of a UFO beaming in a human. It's not clear if the two monoliths are connected. Now the gentlemen in Addis Cadero say they're not, so who knows. So folks, I'm a bit disappointed. The article doesn't really have a good photo of the monolith. It's just got a little bit of a video. And then I also checked, I just did a quick Google search, and there's not really any images of that monolith. So I can't really give you my opinion on it, aside from what the article says. But uh, yeah, I'm sure some more photos will come out soon. They usually do within a day or two. So on to the next article here. And this one says, Monolith appears in Albuquerque in New Mexico, for those of you who may not know. Local Artist Collective takes credit for installations. And this came out on the 7th. So again, this is pretty breaking news. Albuquerque, New Mexico. K-R-Q-E. Another monolith has been spotted, and this time, it's in Albuquerque. Mayor Tim Keller confirmed via Twitter that a monolith has popped up near the Pan-American Freeway and Matano Road on Monday, December 7th. This comes after the first silver metallic structure mysteriously appeared in Utah, several others around the world, blah, 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 blah. Then they go into talking about the collective, that group, and the most famous artist, Matty Moe, he said that he will only speak to Joe Rogan, so he's obviously thinking he is the big man. Uh, but I guess it's great work if you can get it. If you can get onto the Joe Rogan show, then why not? This monolith is fairly similar to the one, the initial one in Utah, I would say. It's not exactly the same, but there's no mystery here, as I say, because they've already said who did it. I do have another article again, folks. After we get through the monolith ones, I've just got one more I've found while I was actually looking at this monolith one, and I can't leave it out, and you'll soon know why. On to the next episode. Now, this one I was asked to cover by Miss Unexplained UK from Instagram. Sent me this article the other day. Might not be exactly this article, 
But uh, I really wanted to cover it yesterday, but I didn't get a chance because, as I said, my body has obviously had enough of monoliths and I had a fever. So this might not be the exact same article. This one comes from CNN. Yes, it's another monolith, and this time it's in Britain. And this one is pretty cool. For those keeping track of the mystery of the monoliths, get your scorecards ready. Another of the curious structures has been spotted, this time on the Isle of Wight. I always think of the Beatles song 64 when I hear the Isle of Wight. Off England's south coast. The confounding compositions have been sparking intrigue since a 10-foot-tall silver structure appeared among the red rocks of remote southeastern Utah last month and was swiftly removed. Imitation structures sprang up in a Romanian forest and on a California mountaintop, but both disappeared as quickly as they arrived. Meanwhile, reports flooded in about a similar structure in the Netherlands this weekend. The most recent earthial offering was spotted on Compton Beach on the southwest coast of the Isle of Wight on Sunday afternoon. My wife and I were walking our dog on our favorite beach and saw the monolith, local resident Lee Peckham told CNN. We hadn't heard about it at all, but clearly others had, as there were lots of people coming down to look at it, he said. But just like the other mystery structures, residents aren't quite sure where it came from. I don't know how it got there, and I'm not sure the locals have any good theories either. It's more just quizzical amusement, he told CNN. A spokesman for the National Trust, which owns the section of the beach where the monolith was erected, told CNN that the organization did not know who put it up. We were unaware of the monolith's presence until this morning, but we've now visited Compton Beach, and it seems secured on a wooden plinth and is made from mirrored sections of plastic or perspex material, the spokesman said in an email. I was wondering why it was so shiny. We are still assessing it, so we have no immediate plans to remove it. But of course, we need to monitor over the next few days to ensure the beach remains safe and does not become overcrowded, he added. It is still unclear who is behind the erecting of the globe-trotting silver pillars. So again, we know some of them. We just don't know this one. We definitely know at least two of them. And that's it for that article. Now, on to your last of the monolith stories for tonight's show. And this one is from The Independent, which again, independent.co.uk. Now this one, folks, is only an hour old. Fifth mysterious monolith discovered in the Netherlands. Yet another metal monolith has been discovered, this time in a Dutch nature reserve. Listen, listen up, Houtmans. This time in a Dutch nature reserve overlooking an icy puddle. The structures have stolen headlines around the world since one was first discovered in the Utah desert by state officials as they counted sheep from a helicopter. While the initial statue was removed by an unknown party, just days later on the 28th of November, apparent copycats then appeared on a Californian mountaintop and a hillside in Romania, but these did not last long either. The Romanian statue disappeared mysteriously overnight after four days, while the California monolith quickly fell foul of an enraged group of Christian conspiracy theorists. I love how they've gone from being some Trump supporters to being Christian conspiracy theorists who drove for five hours to tear it down and replace it with a cross in order to tell the alien overlords they are not welcome. Well, that's not exactly what they said, folks. They're taking a bit of liberty. I'm no fan of those boys, but uh, yeah, that's not what they said. In recent days, the mystery has continued, with at least two more of the statues having been discovered by walkers on an Isle of Wight beach and in the Netherlands Nature Reserve. And while officials are yet to confirm its existence, 
Reports emerged on Monday of a golden monolith appearing in Colombia. Hadn't heard about that one. Looks like I might be doing another monolith episode. In the Netherlands, local media reported that there were no footprints leading up to the steel object, and it is unclear how the statue arrived in the Kiekenberg Reserve near the town of Udhorn. The broadcaster, I'm not, something Friesland, I'm not going to try and pronounce that, folks, speculated that the statue may have been there for some time, as I said, formed around it. And yeah, that one's right on the edge of, they call it a pond, but it's just a, basically an oversized puddle. Definitely looks similar to the Utah one. As far as the luster, I would say it's probably aluminum. It was a bit. It was a big, shiny metal thing, this Dijon told, told the broadcaster. I walked up to it, but there was nothing to be seen around the monolith. It was just as if it was placed from above. It certainly took two or more people to place it there. The Telegraph noted that some have suggested the discovery in the Netherlands could have been a prop left behind from the filming of Westworld, which was shot nearby. Religious philosopher and UFO expert, Tange Smegs, was quoted as saying by the paper that he and his associates believe it likely to be a marketing stunt or an art project. It may of course be the case that there are copycats who want to participate in the success of the first statue, Mr. Smegs said, or there is someone behind with a lot of money and we hear next week that this is an announcement for a new movie or something from McDonald's. So yeah, folks, that is pretty much the roundup for the monoliths for this week. Again, we'll see how we go this week. If there's a lot of articles, a lot of interesting things, I might do a few more bonus episodes of monoliths. But realistically, I'd really rather wait until the next news of the damn segment, if I can help it. Now, this is the article I decided to add at the last minute, folks, and you will soon understand why. So this one is from KRQE, which is out of Albuquerque, New Mexico. Idea man who found Rocky Mountain's treasure chest revealed. So this is the Forest Fen treasure, which is something ongoing, and I have told you I will cover it. Cheyenne, Wyoming. A grandson of Forest Fen has confirmed that a medical school student from Michigan found an over $1 million treasure chest that the retired art and antiques dealer stashed in the wilds of Wyoming over a decade ago. Jonathan Jack Stuff, 32, found the treasure in June. Fenn grandson Shiloh Forrest Old posted Monday on a website dedicated to the treasure. We wish Jack the best of luck, and we hope that the searching community will treat him with the respect that he deserves, Old wrote. Fenn, who was also a decorated U.S. Air Force fighter pilot during the Vietnam War, left clues to finding the treasure in a poem in his memoir entitled The Thrill of the Chase. Fenn at the time said he hid the chest filled with coins, gold nuggets, and other valuables estimated in value at $1 million to $3 million in the Rocky Mountains north of Santa Fe in either Colorado, Montana, New Mexico, or Wyoming. The poem inspired many to go treasure huntings, sometimes getting into precarious situations in the unforgiving Rocky Mountain backcountry. Fenn said repeatedly the treasure wasn't in a dangerous or especially hard-to-reach place, but at least four people died searching for the chest. Many others needed rescue, including a man who rappelled into the Grand Canyon of the Yellowstone in winter. Fenn announced June 6 that the treasure had been found, but did not say who found it or where. He said in July the treasure was found in Wyoming and died in September at age 90 without identifying the finder. Stuff, meanwhile, initially remained anonymous in a Medium article published in September, in which he described finding the treasure, but not specifically how or where. The article on Monday identified Stuff as the author. A 
court order and a federal lawsuit against the Fen estate prompted Stuff to identify himself to writer Daniel Barbarisi, who's been in touch with Stuff for a book he had been working on. Barbarisi identified Stuff in an article published on Monday in Outside Magazine and wrote that Stuff became obsessed with the treasure after learning about its existence in 2018. I think I got a little embarrassed by how obsessed I was with it, Barbarisi quoted Stuff as saying. If I didn't find it, I would look kind of like an idiot, and maybe I didn't want to admit to myself what a hold it had on me. Ben's grandson, Old, also cited the lawsuit as a reason for confirming Stuff's identity. In the lawsuit, a woman who believed the treasure was hidden in New Mexico claims the finder succeeded by hacking her texts and emails, Barbarisi wrote. Stuff denied the allegations, saying he never met nor heard of the woman before the lawsuit, and the treasure was nowhere near New Mexico. Barbarisi wrote, Stuff didn't return a phone message left Monday by the Associated Press seeking comment on finding the treasure. So, folks, there it is. The man's name is out there in the public. Reason is, yet typical in this day and age, it's a lawsuit that drives him out. Anyway, I pretty much lost interest in the Forest Fen treasure. The story's still great, but at the end of the day, I do now believe that it was found. I believe that Stuff found it. I believe that he's basically made off with the with the money, and I wish him the best. So, my friends, that's a wrap on another segment of the News of the Damned. I hope you enjoyed those stories. I realize you're probably starting to get to where you're a bit burnt out on the monoliths, and hopefully next week I won't have any monolith stories. It's just been a very busy week, folks, and I wanted to make sure I had some content for you ahead of this excellent interview with Russ. Now again, folks, here's your one last chance, one last warning that we do talk about 9-11, we do talk about COVID and some other things that might be a bit triggering for people. I think it's pretty tame. I think it's pretty mild. But again, I've been involved in this type of stuff for over 35 years. So to me, what may seem mild may not be for you. All I'm saying, folks, is keep an open mind, stay respectful. Russ did a very good job of being respectful on the program and being respectful to my listeners. So please extend the same. I think you'll really enjoy it. I think it's an awesome interview. I had a great time making it. And I will be having Russ back again many other times. So with that all having been said, make sure that you've got yourself a beverage of your choice, preferably a nice adult beverage, maybe a snack or two. Sit back and relax as you sit down and listen to over an hour and a half of excellent content from Russell from Hangar 18 Radio and myself. At the end of the program, there will not be an Art Bell quote, so don't hang around to listen for that. With that all out of the way, my friends, have a great week. Enjoy this episode, and I will talk to you soon. Enjoy. The views and opinions expressed by guests on the Paranormal Sun are those of the guests and do not necessarily reflect the viewpoint or the position of JT, the Paranormal Sun, or Tower Studios New Zealand. Hi, Russ. Welcome to the Paranormal Sun as my first ever guest. I really enjoyed our conversation. Yeah, it was great being on Hangar 18 Radio, and I wanted to have the chance to host you. You know, I'm really sorry that the bourbon and the cigars this time are going (laughs) to have to be virtual, but uh, yeah. (laughs) Well, we got our smoking jackets on. (laughs) Yes, smoking jackets, and uh, I might call for a bourbon in a while, but I don't think anyone will answer. (laughs) Well, thanks for having me, JT. I appreciate it. No, it's, it's, look, it's been well, it's been well overdue. 
I really appreciated you giving me the impetus to, uh, you know, start kicking off some of these discussions because for the listeners, um, we've had some great discussions that we haven't had a chance yet to get on the air. So it's been, you know, it's been really brilliant and we have really good conversations. So folks, I think that you'll really enjoy this conversation. I just really wanted to give you, the listeners, a, a bit of an overview about Russ, about Hangar 18 Radio, where he comes from, why he's interested in the topics that that he covers and that I cover and give you an idea about his show and that. So what we're going to do, folks, is we're just going to go through a few questions. We're going to have kind of loose questions so we can have a, let the conversation lead us where we may. And then at the end, we'll make sure that Russ gets a chance to tell you all about Hangar 18 Radio and where you can listen and what you can do to support his program. So first right. off, Russ, yeah, um, why, why don't you just give us a brief overview of Hangar 18 Radio and uh, how you came to be interested in the topics that you cover over there. Oh, sure. Um, man, uh, you know, when I first started doing this, I kind of wanted to make my show like a, a beginner's guide to uh, major American UFO events. Um, and uh, I started my show off with the uh, what I consider is one of the, the first major UFO events in, in this century, which was uh, the Battle of Los Angeles. Anti-aircraft guns went into action against unidentified aircraft in the Los Angeles area shortly after 3 a.m. Pacific wartime this morning. The anti-aircraft guns began barking during a blackout ordered by the 4th Interceptor Command at 2.25 a.m. The unidentified object, which some sources thought might be a blimp, moved slowly down the Pacific coast from Santa Monica and disappeared south of Long Beach. Army officials declined to comment on the possibility that the object might have been a blimp. However, it required nearly 30 minutes to travel some 25 miles, far slower than an airplane. Watchers on the rooftop of the Columbia Broadcasting Building in the heart of Hollywood could plainly see the flashes of guns and searchlights sweeping the skies in a wide arc along the coastal area. Concussion of the shells could be felt in downtown Los Angeles, 15 miles away. U.S. Army planes quickly took to the dark skies, but whether they contacted the object has not been announced. Searchlights closely followed the object down the coast and kept it centered in their glare. Shells frequently could be seen bursting near the object, but none appeared to hit it. But as I got further down the road with making episodes, I, I started getting interested in in different things, and I'm like, well, should I just strictly stay on this chronological um situation that I have going or should I kind of veer off into what I'm more interested in and I felt that I would um, I guess have more ambition to do something that I'm more interested in so I just started kind of veering off into whatever I you know was was uh, interesting me or whatever I was getting into more at the time right um, but I've been interested in this man since I was a kid um, one of the first dreams I had as a boy was of this meteorite landing near my bedroom window. Wow. And I was, I had to have been like five years old and I could still remember this dream to this day. It's really vivid. It's me and my grandpa just standing out there with this big glowing green blue rock, wow. like in, in our yard, you know? And, and I've just always had an interest in space, things like that. And, uh, 
I've always had an interest in in the in the paranormal, and you know, I've had a like, like we were talking in our last conversation. I've always had an unhealthy uh, obsession with the movie Ghostbusters, right, you know, right. and uh, you know, you'd find me at the library uh, checking out books on spirit photography and things like that, and uh, that got me interested in um, uh, what was his name? One of the uh, he was kind of like a paranormal guy from the the mid century. Uh, from the mid twentieth or the mid nineteenth? Twentieth. I'm sorry, I'm drawing a blank. No, it's no, still no, early, but uh, <laughs> you know, just things like that have always interested me. And and like I say in my first episode, like the person that kind of triggered my UFO interest was my mom. She used to suffer from uh, insomnia back in the '90s, and I'd come home from partying with friends and find her up listening to the radio, and she'd have Art right. Bell on. You know, and uh, and he, you know, Art Bell got me, you know, hooked on on all that. You've got your radio on, don't you? Turn your radio off. Is this Art? Yes, it is. Extinguish your radio, please. Okay, just think. Yes, turn your radio off. Who's this? What's your best guess? Are you Art Bell? No, I'm Harry. Turn off the radio. West of the Rockies, you're on the air. Hi. Hi. Hello. Who am I calling? Well, uh, now, with regard to who you're calling, you would know more about that than I would. Uh, I was trying to reach Art Bell. Uh-huh. Who do you think you've reached? Oh, I have no idea. So, who, so Well, you, you, you wanted what kind of pizza? Oh, I, I don't want any pizza. No, thanks. You, you did order one, anchovies, right? Uh, no, no anchovies. I can't stand anchovies. Coast to Coast AM with Art Bell. Be sure to turn your radio off, know who you're calling, and know who you are. Are you sure you're canceling this order, then? No pizza. All right. Well, all right. Fine. And my mom was actually, uh, in, you know, uh, kind of a ancient alien theorist herself because uh, she actually saw the, uh, the Chariots of the Gods movie in the theaters as a kid, so she was always interested in that, too. And... From there, I, I began reading, uh, you know, the works of Zachariah Sitchin, right. uh, Eric von Danigan, at, in my early, you know, teens. Uh, at that time, I had, I hardly knew what I was reading. You know, it was right, it was right. just blowing my mind basically. Yeah. Uh, and from there, you know, like then, uh, in that time, like I think the X Files was really big too. So that was just even you know, interesting me even further because now it's in the mainstream media. Right. Um, right. And then, and then it just kind of took off from there. I've always had, uh, I've always had a passion for it. So, and here I am now. I guess that's. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no. And you know, you, you've done some great subjects, and for what it's worth, I mean, not that you need my validation, but look, I think that that was a brilliant strategy that you decided to take that decision as far as how you do your show, because inevitably, you you and I could sit down and do a chronological list of all of the major UFO sightings. And then we would get halfway through and go, oh, man, I forgot about this one. Yeah and, yeah. and so what do you do? Do a disclaimer and go, well, I know we're in the 80s, folks, but we need to go back to 1952. So, right. Yeah. You and I, we, we grew up around the same time. And I would argue that outside of the kids that kind of grew up in the 50s and 60s, our generation was probably the next one yeah. after them that was really into space. I mean, we right. had Star Wars. I remember going and watching Return of the Jedi in the theater. Uh, which oh, yeah. was, that's an awesome memory to have. Me too. And yep. so 
from a young age, we never had any doubt that there was more out there in the universe than just us. We had mm-hmm. we had the old Star Trek reruns and then Star Trek movies, and so that you know there was never a doubt in mind that it was possible. I think as as a generation, right? Yeah, I, I remember being there in the theater too with Return of the Jedi. Awesome. Yeah, it's it's one of those. Um, as life's gone on, I mean, I still like a good sci-fi. I'm probably more into yeah. stuff like high fantasy, uh, swords and sorcery type stuff. But, I mean, right. you know, I definitely started out with Star Wars. And I remember it was so big, like you say, about the same. First came that, and then Ghostbusters and some of the other <laughs> franchises came not long after. But, but yeah. Oh, like um, the Dark Crystal. Yeah. That Dark. was always a favorite for me as a kid. You know, yeah. things like that are great. Yeah, and man, I'll tell you, you go back and you watch some of those movies now as an adult and you're just like, wow, like either one, like your mind's blown because the things that as a kid you didn't notice or two, sometimes we just go back and we go, well, um, it wasn't as good as I remember. (laughs) Mm -hmm. That was a very dark movie. I mean, that was, you know, like stealing souls of little innocent creatures, you know, it's like, holy crap. Uh, Yeah, well. (laughs) You, you, you had Dark Crystal, you had Labyrinth, you had um, Never Ending Story, which was yep. quite a dark film. And of course, you yeah. had Conan. But what what yeah. would you expect from the uh, from the Conan series? But to be blood and guts and re- resurrecting mm-hmm. an evil god. Crom, I've never prayed to you before. I have no tongue for it. No one, not even you, will remember. If we were good men or bad, why we fought or why we died, no. All that matters is that two stood against many. That's what's important. Bagor pleases you, Kram. So grant me one request. Grant me revenge. And if you do not listen, then the hell with you. Still, you know, as a, as a kid, you're just like, They're, they've got swords, so cool. And you're not really reading right. into all of the in-depth things. I remember begging my mom to watch uh, Conan the Barbarian, and she had she had a friend who had it, and, and she was telling my mom, don't let him watch it. There's all this gratuitous stuff, but what they did was they got their hands on the edited copy, you know. Oh, that doesn't, okay. Yeah, doesn't have the, the TV version. And all. Yeah, yeah. So. <laughs> So I did manage to get to watch it, and um, mm. you know it was pretty cool. Mom wasn't super uh, hardcore with allowing me to watch this or that, but especially scary movies, it was like if you watch it and you don't come to me, you know, if you're crying, it's your own fault. Yeah. I've warned you. <laughs> right. So, yeah. It's your own fault. <laughs> <laughs> that that's awesome, man. And, and and like you said, that Battle of Los Angeles, that was a great episode. Um, I, I really enjoyed it. Oh, thanks. And oh yeah, no, I mean that was a great. Th- honestly, what I did at that time and i don't so much now with the explosion of podcasts because there's just so much content but at that time i was still looking for shows in this genre and oh yeah i came across it and i went wow not a lot of podcasts actually cover this they all go to roswell they all go to yeah. uh, uh kecksburg and yep. uh, so i thought i'm gonna check this out and and that's one of the reasons why i did that because it's it's almost so overlooked and i'm not sure why yeah. um because it's such a war jitters. yeah it's such a major yeah maybe that's the thing they don't want it to rekindle that fear in us i don't know but like it seems to me that that's a major event that's something that like we should really know about and, and it's all often overlooked and i just had to you know just revisit it 
to to start out my podcast. No, f- fair enough. And and like I said, you know, great call. It's it's one of those that for the average person to hear something like that that's never heard of it, they're just like, what? What is this? Yeah, no, exactly. Yeah, you know? yep. like I say in the podcast, like uh, you know, I would tell my friends that, and they they're like, no. I'm like, yeah, yeah it's 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 it, it was in the papers. Yep. With the way that the world has gone now, and it's so easy to doctor evidence and Photoshop things. I've known, I've not known them personally, but I've, I've had younger people online claiming things like the famous headline from Roswell is, is a hoax. And, you know, <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, I, I feel for them because in, in the world as it is now, if this is all you've ever known, I, I fully understand everything is to be suspicious. You know, you have to look at it and go, this could be a hoax. Yeah. But so right. many of those old ones, I mean, especially before the 60s, uh, when I covered the Farmington Armada, there were multiple headlines out of the papers. There's yeah. the Washington Overflight that, um, that you covered. Even here in New Zealand, the episode I just did on the Kaikoura Lights, there were multiple yep. articles here in, in Australia that came out in the papers. And it's like, no, kids, these are real. They've got date stamps on them from the libraries. These papers yeah. existed. So, yep, yeah. check the microfilm. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> you know? Yeah, it, it, that's... Yeah, you know, I, I, I've been researching Roswell because I want to make like a mega Roswell episode and I want to have a few friends on right. that um, we went to uh, Roswell as a road trip in yeah, our youth. Right. Yeah. If you actually read the newspaper article, I, 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 I recorded it for the podcast that I'm going to do, and it's basically saying we have a captured UFO. We have a flying saucer in yeah. our grasp. That's what they are telling the American public in in the news article. Headline of this news, July 8, 1947. The Army Air Forces has announced that a flying disc has been found and is now in the possession of the Army. Army officers say the missile found sometime last week has been inspected at Roswell, New Mexico and sent to Wright Field, Ohio for further inspection. Today's edition presents a roundup of the latest developments in the finding of a flying disc. Now, here's Taylor Grant. Late this afternoon, a bulletin from New Mexico suggested that the widely publicized mystery of the flying saucers may soon be solved. Army Air Force officers reported that one of the strange discs had been found and inspected sometime last week. Our correspondents in Los Angeles and Chicago have been in contact with Army officials endeavoring to obtain all possible late information. Joe Wilson reports to us now from Chicago. The Army may be getting to the bottom of all this talk about the so-called flying saucers. As a matter of fact, the 509th Atomic Bomb Group headquarters at Rockwell, New Mexico, reports that it has received one of the discs which landed on a ranch outside Rockwell. The disc landed at a ranch at Corona, New Mexico, and the rancher turned it over to the Air Force. Rancher W.W. Brazil was the man who discovered the saucer. Colonel William Blanchard of the Rockwell Air Base refuses to give details of what the flying disc looks like. In Fort Worth, Texas, where the object was first sent, Brigadier General Roger Ramey says that it is being shipped by air to the AAF Research Center at Wright Field, Ohio. A few moments ago, I talked to officials at Wright Field, and they declared that they expect the so-called flying chopper to be delivered there, but that it hasn't arrived as yet. And then, you know, a day later, they just totally retract it. They go to they go to uh, news places and actually take what is it the stories and files out of the out of the offices. Right. They just confiscate everything that was ever said about it. You know, and why would you do that? Yeah, it's just it's such yeah. a strange thing to do. 
Roswell is its own rabbit hole, and I don't want to get too deep down it, but we, we've heard all these stories that seem to come out every five to ten years, and there's even the story from the one author, and basically okay. they were claiming that it was um, kids with this um, disability, and the Russians had these Hannenbaum or whatever German flying discs from World War II, oh. and that's what it really was, and that's why it was so hush-hush, okay. because if the oh. American people knew that the Soviets had flown over American airspace... And, yeah. and look, as I say, anything's possible, and I try and treat it all with a bit of respect, but it, it does seem to me it's like, let's just make the water muddier and muddier uh, yeah. as the years go by. So even if 10% of people believe that story and 10% believe this, whatever the truth is behind it, maybe we'll get them ob- obfuscated enough that they won't see what's going on. Well, that's interesting. I've never heard that uh, as as one of the theories, um, I did hear from a, a show on Discovery Channel or something like that a few years back that it was like uh, high atmosphere uh, skydivers or like uh, paratroopers <laughs> that uh, that they were like experimenting with, you know, like where they were kind of floating down on weather balloons and things like that, and just to drop somebody from super high up into a you know enemy territory or something like that. So that right, was just right. one of the 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 20 excuses that have now come to light from the government about Roswell, you know? Yeah. So that's interesting. Yeah. I've never heard that. Yeah. Uh, um, so all... special or uh, disability kids uh, <laughs> in like these, in these flying saucers that are yeah. crashing. Wow. S- supposedly that was the, I, I can't remember the, um, the disease that the kids supposedly had uh, off the top of my head. And that's why I don't want to, I, I can't even re- begin to remember what it was. But, um, okay. yeah, that's basically what they said was that this was all a big plot of Stalin to humiliate the West. And he okay. basically, yeah, the, the whole thing was that they were going to crash this disc. And then America would say, we got a flying saucer. And he'd go, aha, the yeah. kind of original uh, political gotcha moment yeah, where he could I say, see. yeah, you're all idiots. And it was all my master <laughs> plan. So, um, wow. yeah, I'll, I'll make sure I'll find it because it won't be hard for me to find. It, and I'll flick you a link. So. You okay. know, you've got that for your uh, Roswell mega mega episode. Great, yeah. Well, I guess uh, they stopped using dogs, eh? <laughs> Yikes. Yeah, yeah. They moved. They moved on to humans. Uh, yeah. Yeah. What do you expect in 1940s communist uh, USSR? Right. Yeah. Whatever you do, Americanskis, we will do better. <laughs> yep. So, Russ, what? are you really enjoying right now out there in the world whether it's uh, something on tv or kind of the websites that you might follow or podcasts or books or really anything because i know from the conversations that we've had that like me you're always learning new things and you're always learning about new cases or new angles sure um i actually just finished up the the first season of utopia on amazon prime okay um i don't know if you're familiar with that uh it's it's kind of uh, it starts off kind of weird. It's uh, it's this group of of fa- comic book fans that stumble upon this this uh, conspiracy uh, written into the comic book itself. It's a British um, series, right? Um, I'm not sure. Uh, it's got John Cusack in it. Oh, okay. No, um, it's, it's not the same show. I'm thinking. Okay, of. it's got Rain Wilson from The Office, the American version of The Office. Man, if you haven't seen it yet, I, I definitely check it out. It's worth uh, the twelve dollar monthly subscription to right, just right. Um, to just binge it. Uh, it involves and it's cr- kind of crazy timing because it involves um, a virus, and 
<laughs> you know, and it, it just, lo and behold, it just it happens uh, to uh, come out in 2020. Wow. It, it parallels what's going on right now. And they actually do a disclaimer before the show. It does in any way, you know, they say in any way that this doesn't like have to do with what's going on right now. It's just a happenstance, a coincidence. But, you know, (laughs) you know, yeah. Uh, I've also been revisiting the show, uh, The Fringe or Fringe, uh, isn't it? J.J. Abrams uh, series that was out maybe 10 years ago. I I just find uh, that show is just brilliant, man. Uh, It has everything from uh, speaking to dead people through... uh, the use of LSD and deprivation tanks to to different dimensions. Uh, it's it's an older show, and you know I'm not too concerned about spoiler alerts. But yeah, like yeah. the scientist that used to work for the government um, lost his son. I think the son died, so he he finds a way to steal his son from another dimension so he could have him back for him and his wife. Oh, that's that's right. Yeah, I remember you mentioning it to me uh, during our last conversation. Oh yeah, just to, yeah. yeah, and and that and, that's a really wow. cool premise. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, come on, that's the best. Yeah. You know, and then and because of that that interdimensional travel, like things like kind of unravel, like the reality starts to unravel because of that, and it just it allows the show to go in so many different directions. I think Leonard Nimoy is in it too. Oh, okay. One of his last things that he did wow. before he died. Other than that, uh, I'm an avid podcast listener. Um, I do a lot of like data entry at work, so I, I have lots of time to listen to tons of podcasts. Brothers of the Serpent is one of my favorites. Uh, another guy by the name of Clyde Lewis. He he kind of harkens back to the old Art Bell days. He makes things very dramatic, um, and I like that. I like to be yes. entertained and scared, you know. Of course, yeah. <laughs> I listen to a lot of Richard Serrett. He's a right, right, yeah. he's a guest or a guest host on Coast to Coast all the time. I love his uh, the conspiracy show. I was just listening to an episode the other day uh, talking about the uh, inevitable socialist takeover of the U.S. and how like they're implementing just the 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 slow demolition of America right. through uh, all these policies and you know it's just coming from all fronts and there's no stopping it and it was just really interesting to to hear this one guy's opinion about how they're doing it right, and it right. doesn't matter who's in office it's all it's going to happen eventually just because the whole world we're like the last stepping stone uh, for that to happen you know the U.S. is the the only thing holding everybody back basically and uh, that was really interesting and. Yeah, I, I love his show. He's another guy that reminds me of Art Bell, you know, just the through uh, the way he conducts his program. He's very level-headed. That's what I like about mm-hmm. him. He doesn't, mm-hmm. he doesn't have the ups and downs. He's Like you say, everyone he interviews, he stays very calm. Even if he's skeptical, he takes it, He lets them have their, their chance to say what they think. I was. Uh, it, it's ironic. Friday night here, as I told you, it comes on here late night. And I walked past, and I I turned on the TV, and he was doing the 9/11 coverage about the towers and could have the fires brought them down and all of that oh, okay. on the conspiracy show. So again, I mean, he had a guy on, and you could tell probably Sarah really didn't buy what he was selling. But again, you know, respectful, level-headed, let him yeah have yeah. his words. So yeah, I, I agree. He, he's a really good host. I like him. The other night there was there was a guy on uh, his his. Uh, conspiracy unlimited podcast that was uh had a theory about the bible and how it is just like a ancient star map and and i know richard had a problem with it 
and you could tell because he was drilling him on these questions, and he he could just he could you know quote any Bible verse just as much as the other guy, you know. Right, right. And uh, he was really sticking it to him. I appreciated that, you know. Well, yeah. It, it so. when when you've got people like that who actually know what they're talking about, it really takes some of those guests aback because, like you say, they're just used to throwing something out there and saying, "Oh, well, this is yeah. what it says." And they that's that's yeah. one of the things that I liked about Ian Punnett on Coast to Coast yes. because. You couldn't sit there because he was, I think, off the. He was, I think, he was an Anglican minister. You know, yes. so it, you couldn't sit there and BS him on what the Bible said, which was right. pretty cool. I thought I, I like him. One of the old school guys. He's written a lot of books, and once in a while he was on Coast to Coast, and he's quite famous in the UK. If you get a chance to look up any of his interviews, man, he's one of those people that you could listen to reading the ingredients off of a soapbox. <laughs> <laughs> And his name is Lionel Fanthorpe. Okay, it kind of yeah. rings a bell. I think it was Holy Blood, Holy Grail. He wrote that book. Oh, okay. Yeah, so he was involved in Renlai Chateau uh, very early on in the early 80s, him and his wife. And they've written Oak Island books. He's, oh, wow. He's been on, yeah, he's, he's been on a few podcasts, and it's awesome because he's been doing it for 50 years. He was a sci-fi author in the 50s and 60s when they were churning out these pulp books. It's really cool when you hear him because he'll say that uh, I had a pseudonym for writing romance books. I had a pseudonym for writing oh, pirate okay. books. I, yeah, so he said that I, he said he did. He wrote like 600 books, but there there's all these different names because uh, what happened, he said back then, was if you wrote one book for a publisher a month, you got more than if you wrote multiple each. So <laughs> you would, you would, yeah, you would, you would turn them in under different names. Oh, so he wow. said, you know, yeah, he goes, I might write ten books and turn them all in <laughs> under uh, different names, and by doing that, I would get an extra five pounds or ten pounds, whatever it was. That's and, a great um, racket. Yeah, and and <laughs> if it, I mean, there are definitely clips of him floating around on YouTube, and that, and he's just got a really good mind for it like like what you and I have talked that we like like Art Bell I mean he he keeps that skeptical mind but he's an yeah. awesome storyteller man I mean he reads some of the like, like the um, I'd read about the moving coffins of Barbados that I covered be long before I mean back in the 80s it's one of the longest standing kind of paranormal stories that have floated around he uh, went there and investigated it and he takes people through it verbally and he's okay. just such an awesome storyteller yeah, and, and uh, so like I'll have like, to check yeah. him out. Yeah, yeah, that's cool. That's another rabbit hole too. You know, like the whole uh, lineage of Jesus and and oh, the yeah. you know the, the Knights Templar and things like that. Man, that's that's great. No, no, definitely. And like like you say, it's so easy to get off track um, <laughs> with these things and and get down these rabbit holes. And and that's why I've had to. What was happening with me early on in doing the Paranormal Sun is that. I would just say, oh, I'll worry about next week's show next week. But if I didn't commit to what I was going to do, I would say, yeah. ooh, this, I just heard about this, and this is new and shiny, and I'd run off and follow that <laughs> track. So, so now I've learned to just say, no, John, you've got to have these, yeah, you've got to commit to the listeners that this is what you're going to do next week, yeah, and then you'll yeah. do it. Yep, and that's what I've been doing, too. It's like, okay, it's like, okay, you know, there's so many paths to choose. It's like, okay, you got to stick with one and then get her done, do yeah. the research, write everything down as you're sitting there because you'll lose it. It's like the read your own adventure yep. books when we were kids. You sit there flipping exactly. between the pages yeah. going, what happens if I do this? Yeah. <laughs> None yeah. of that now. Uh, a, a couple <laughs> podcasts that I can I can suggest as well, they're, they're fiction, but they're very much woven in with 
they're they're really awesome podcasts and i really like them i stumbled across them a few years ago they're fiction but they're intertwined with things like uh uh what's that book oh the 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 voynich manuscript and star charts and they they do an excellent Hmm. job of weaving in all of those real world things like rasputin and that into the story okay Um, one is called black books and the other one is called uh tannis and they're both very much about these kind of histories, mysteries, alternate timelines of what's really gone on in the world. And uh, especially with Tannis, there's almost a little tinge of cosmic horror or Lovecraftian horror. And, nice. Um, yeah. The unspeakable and, horror. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And and those are both really good series. They're done by a place. I think it's it's called like Pacific Northwest Radio or something out of Canada. Apologies to anyone who's listening that's Canadian, but I laugh every time the uh, the, the the lead voice actor will say about, and he's going oh, a boot. Yeah, I don't know a boot. Yeah. yeah. Aside from that, he could almost pass for an American, but there's some of those words, man, I'm like, yeah, definitely a Canadian production. Yep. Yep. So um, we love you, Canada. Oh, of course we do. I've, I've definitely got listeners in Canada. Yep, me too. Man, that's one thing about this whole this whole uh, podcast thing. Man, I love like when a new like uh, country comes up on my uh, on my demographics. It's like oh, yeah. holy crap! You know, I can't believe that that people all over the world are listening to my podcast. And I, and you know, people, I appreciate it so much. It's it's just something I never thought would ever happen. I thought maybe I'd get like twelve listeners from the states, and that's about it. But like, that's one thing so cool about this whole podcasting thing. It's like you can you can reach so many different people. It's just wonderful. No, uh, honestly, it's been the same for me. Early on, I remember I thought, oh, if I get any more than a few people listening, I'll be thrilled. And right, you know, yeah. And, and and one of the coolest things to me recently was that when I was when I went through the Halloween month kind of, and I just covered no UFO topics, and I did the moving coffins of Barbados. Well, I've had someone in a Barbados go and listen to that episode. And wow, it, yeah, man, it's just like it's it's awesome. I've had people from Romania get a hold of me to ask me about Hoya Bachu Forest, and it's like it's in your wow. country, man. It's like right, but yeah, exactly. But but they're That's asking cool. me because they're like. Oh, where did you find this research? And it's like, well, this that's thing great. called the internet. Yeah, and, and yeah. that's it. I, I found out that um, I was like the the paranormal sun was ranked something like two hundred and sixth in Romanian podcasts about Holy um, cow. yeah life and culture. And I was just like, wow. And it will all be off the back of that Hoyabachu episode. Every once in a while, because of people searching on Instagram and that, I had a couple of girls comment the other day on one of one of my Hoya Bachu posts from way back, like in May, saying, "This is the one I was telling you about." And I don't know yep, if they meant yep. my podcast or the forest, but you know, yeah, I, I have a lot yeah. of people tagging like you know other yeah. people on certain things, like check this out. You know, it's that's kind of cool that like uh, they're using us as like a catalyst for somebody else learning about something. You know, yeah, and. And Makes honestly, you feel good. Yeah, and, and that's why I, I did this, really, was that, I mean, I did my initial podcast to, as arrogant to some people as it may sound, it was a bit of my legacy to leave something behind and right. do something for people. And the whole idea behind it was that sharing some of my life experiences, and as I spun off to do The Paranormal Sun, just what you were saying, I thought, oh, I'll have a handful of people that will probably listen because they're friends in that and they feel obligated. Mm-hmm. But, mm-hmm. Um, I mean, look, uh, it, we've, we've had this talk before, and I'm perfectly fine with it. No, I'll never be Joe Rogan, but um, the, the thing is, it's like I'm really amazed by how many people really are genuinely interested in, you know, what we yeah. cover. Yeah, yeah. I've, 
I've always had the utmost appreciation when it came to somebody actually listening to my show, you know, given, given I've, I've had some, you know, I've been pretending to be a radio DJ my whole life. <laughs> I used to make little recordings as a kid, you yeah, know, me too. Uh, on a tape recorder and stuff and, and put in music and pretend to be the news guy and things yeah. like that. <laughs> you know, so this is just something that I, I've always wanted to do. I, I have it in me, I guess. It's so funny you say that because my very first episode of the very first podcast before I split it, I dedicated it to my sister because when I was a boy, oh. I had the old um, <laughs> cassette player with the little hand. You know, you'd pull it around. It was about the size of a uh, like a small laptop, and I would run around recording just what you said, doing the news, going, <laughs> oh, this is... And my sister used to always encourage it, and my mom would encourage it, and you know, my mom used to tell me, oh, one day you'll be on TV. Um, and so, yeah, uh, and and I never really followed it up as, as I aged. I never really got into public speaking or anything. But, yeah, it, it, it's so amazing how we look at some of these things in life. And sometimes when I do feel a bit, um, not necessarily down, but some sometimes when you're lacking motivation, I'll just say to myself, hey, look, buddy, you've been doing this for 35, 40 yeah. years. This is nothing new to you. It's just right. you're doing it on the air now instead of... Uh, conversations with friends right yeah sometimes i'll get like that too where uh i won't have the confidence you know that that couple weeks or a month and i'll kind of just like rebuild and get my ambition back and and just go at it one more time that's all you need a little break sometimes it gets a little overwhelming and you gotta just stop but yeah man i i love doing it well no that's the same here man and how how dare you let life get in the way rush you know you're, you're not allowed to let life get in the way of this um. <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs> Uh, look, I'll, I'll, right. I'll, I'll tell you what, you know, man. I, honestly, if I ever managed, I've never been lucky with, uh, like, gambling. I've been lucky in life, but not in gambling. But if I ever won, like, a big lotto prize, man, it would just, where's your Patreon? Because we're going to start sponsoring your show so you can do the hey, show. Hey, right back at you. Yeah, that's, I'd do the same thing, man. Just, you know, this is, uh, even without anybody, you know, supporting, man, I, I, I would still do it. Just because it's a, it's a, it's like a passion. I need to do it. Just like you know, music. I I went to school for music in my early twenties, and I've been doing that my whole life. You know, given it's it hasn't been a career, but it's it's wow. kind of like uh, what do they say? It's uh, it's it's my life. It's not my livelihood. You know. Right. That's what uh, my my friend Scott says over at the old seventy seven. He said when he first got into radio and he started getting into this, he would always say it's a calling. It's not a it's not an occupation because he said that he he, he would get paid very little to do it, but was a calling and it was something he was good at and something he enjoyed. Yeah, definitely. I don't want to spill the beans too much on what you've got going on right now. What what are you kind of working on now? We're we're about what six weeks out from the end of the year, so you know roughly what yeah. have you got going on? What are kind of your plans for Hangar 18 between now and then? You got anything that you're really excited to release? I've been looking, you know, back at the past year, and that got me interested in how can something like this happen? You know, the events of this year, right? And it got me looking into mind control, brainwashing, um, and the many forms of doing that, of making people pin each other against each other, whether it be um, through TV, through what we eat, what we buy, the stores we shop in, the churches that we go to, the things that we keep in our pocket 24 hours a day, the things, as to quote Clyde Lewis, um, he's got a little... uh, snippet in his podcast the the devices 
you know, that we keep in our pocket, the things that we grab the first thing in the morning and the things that we see the, the last things we see at night, how, how these things affect our point of view. And, and I, I just, uh, I'm going down that rabbit hole right now. Like how, how are we manipulated on a 24 hour basis? Basically, you know, it's freaking me out. (laughs) Oh, look, it's, it's, if ever there was a time to cover it, I mean, definitely right now with what's going on in the world, um, there are lots of people that you and I both from all of our conversations, we both always kept fairly open minds. And I think most of that, like I say, for me, from a young age, I was encouraged to do my own research and form my own opinions. And even going so far as if you were in school and you were respectful, challenging a teacher if you felt that what they were saying was not true or there might be more to it. I've had several people contact me recently, like the original program I did was The Fortunate Son, and I tried to keep it positive on there. And I've had several people contact me and say, hey, look, um, I know you're like all in on The Paranormal Son, and that's great. But in, in this day and age, the way the world's going with all of the strife and conflict, we'd really like to hear something positive. And, yeah. you know, <laughs> yeah, it, I mean, and I'm just a little, I'm a small fry. So to, to hear that, that tells me that people in general are waking up to some of the things that are going on around the world. Yeah, and yeah. I think that a lot of people that have lived in that ignorant bliss for so long, and, and again, folks, when I say things like this, you should know me by now. I'm not being condescending. I'm not looking down on anyone. There have been times in my life when I've been in my little shell, and I'm like, as long as I've got enough money to pay my bills and get drunk, and I mean, yeah. we, we, yeah. we all go through it. It goes right back to the Romans and the Egyptians. And like the Romans used to say, uh, feed them bread and give them circuses to keep them oh, I just the heard that them. yesterday. Yeah. You know, I just heard that yesterday on Richard Serrett. That's so crazy oh, okay. that you say that. Talk about those synchronicities. Wow. Yeah. Yep. You know, and that's the thing. It, and maybe, maybe this vaccine, and I say that in quotation marks, is yeah. something that is going to either cull us in some fashion or is going gonna, is gonna to kill that waking up that we're experiencing right now. Is that why they're doing it right now? Like, there, there's so many possibilities. I just, you know, and there's so many things unknown about this whole thing. And there's just, just something so fishy about this year yeah. that I... I I just, I don't know. And, and, and I, I don't know, man. It's, and that's, I haven't seen it like this ever in my life where it's so polarized yeah. uh, throughout the world. I need to kind of explore what actually I believe because I'm not even sure I, I know what I believe yet yep. as far as what's going on. My buddy, my buddy Ken from the podcast All One Time Live likes to center himself and, and, and just step back for a moment and say, okay, what what kind of information is this? You know, is this something that's just completely made up? And research has a lot to do with that. And it's just a really interesting time to be alive. Oh, oh, definitely. There's It's that old proverb uh, that's often paraphrased from Confucius. And it's meant, do, you, know, you can take it however you want it. Basically, it says, may you live in interesting times. <laughs> and I, I, I hear that quote every now and then, but it's never had more meaning to me than in the year 2020. Um, yeah. Yeah, as you were saying, I was just talking to someone the other night on Instagram, and, and they just said to me, look, um, what do you think is going on as far as the, the stuff with the election, the division of the U.S. nation, the division of many other countries into... Mm-hmm 
people who are fine to be locked down and people who won't be locked down. And I just said to him, I, I said, look, in my life, I find that when things like this are going on and there's massive up, bits of upheaval going on, it tends to be a misdirection game. And I told yes. him, I don't know what they're misdirecting us away from right now, but that's just JT's whole point on it. And again, I told him, look, I'm far from infallible. I, I miss these things a lot of times, like uh, when they slammed the Patriot Act through and the timing mm -hmm. of doing it and everything else, making sure there were several people in Congress who weren't going to be there to vote against it. But yeah, the, the, the whole thing to me is it's just like, I don't know what's going on, but in my humble opinion there's definitely something that we're they're trying to divert our attention away from right now yeah and yeah like ron i think never, never waste a good uh you know <laughs> well a good tragedy or whatever that is that's that's basically it's a it's a combination of a bunch of things it's a combination of that it's taking advantage of the situation it's it's uh using it to their advantage you know it's just human nature i think is part of it and then uh, but there's also like an upper echelon uh strategy there to involve that i'm pretty sure because you know these these people that we put in power are are merely puppets for the the ultra rich they're and, called uh, career politicians for a reason I mean, exactly yeah as you know i mean you've listened to the show enough that it's not that i won't ever discuss politics it's just i know how divisive it is so i i don't think people yeah. come here to to basically go away pissed off at me the whole the, that, that whole quote from Rahm Emanuel uh, it's not well known and but that actually was first uttered my understanding was by Joseph Goebbels in Nazi Germany uh, oh, sure. directly about the Reichstag fire yeah. when he was oh, yeah. asked about it late before the war started and it was basically did you guys use the Reichstag fire to seize power and he said something along the lines of never allow a good crisis to go to waste or or something yep. like that. There's a lot of a lot of parallel uh, uh, Nazi things going on as far as uh, you know what's happening today. You know, tell a big enough lie and people will believe it. Things like that. Oh yeah. There's a lot of a lot of very similar things happening, just on the total opposite side. But <laughs> Russ, as Hangar 18 is mainly centered around the UFO phenomenon, if you could have the 100% unadulterated truth behind any UFO case in history. Which one would it be, and why? You know, I, I can't think of any you know specific UFO case, but what I'd really like to know um, is if the ancient alien theory is actually real. Right. You know, it, it's it's more of like, is there a god? That's like that's like that kind of a question for me, I guess. I mean, it, just thinking about that. I, that's why I always go back to the ancient alien theory. Um, it's just so interesting to me. Right. I. I could just read stuff about it for hours. It's just something, it's like a, it's what everybody wants to know, I guess, you know? Yeah. Everybody wants to be back in that time in history to, to see what really happened and to get some, you know, good confirmation on, on if that was the case. Did we, you know, were we visited by extraterrestrials in, you know, prehistory? Right. And did they help us, you know, become who we are now? And are they still here? Are they controlling everything right now? People say, follow the money. Where does that money go? The money goes to these five richest families in the world. But who are they serving then? I find it hard to believe that that uh, these families just want to hoard all this money. There's got to be a right. reason why they're hoarding it all, you know? Yeah. No, look. It's um, just uh, interesting. Oh, I... I fully agree, and my thoughts are very much the same. If 
there was something that I could know about that UFO-wise, it would be one of those early cases, whether it be even there were there are stories, again, we, we don't necessarily know how true any of them are, but there were stories that there were UFOs at the crucifixion of Christ, yeah. those sorts of things. You, you, you do wonder why would anyone be interested if they were off-planet? What you Now, I just use the term off-planet because it covers all the potential bases of where people say that UFOs may come from. But yeah, it, look, right. it's, it's really fascinating, and we've had some of these talks before about the Romans, the Greeks, uh, seeing strange things in the sky, the Babylonians, just mm-hmm. right on back through history. So look, the Book oh, of Enoch. You know, yeah. you got you got Enoch going up in into heaven and seeing the roundness of the earth. Right, right. You know, you you can't see that uh, unless you're up in space. You know. <laughs> well, well, according to some people, you can't see it at all. So uh, <laughs> that's right. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> no, look, uh, Ezekiel's wheel, all these sorts yes. of things, like you say, a lot of people. Again, we don't want to go, I personally don't want to go too far down the religious route, but uh, many people think that the Bible is just fiction. So it does make you wonder, well, who was giving them the information to write that fiction at least 2,000 years ago, or let's say 1,500 years ago to be safe, and yet they were talking about the roundness of the earth. Like, you know, it is a very fascinating subject. Yeah, and that's another thing, too. Like, who... Who decides to make up stories, you know, like, and, and have that be the history of, of what it was like back then? I, I always find that funny when they, when they just explain it off as myth and stories. Like, why would you do that? Why would you try to, you know, like, purposefully, like, make things fake? If I, if I wanted to, like, record my history, I wouldn't, you know, necessarily just be making up stories. But that's just me, you know. Well, no, look, I, I, I hear you, and it's like so many of the other things we've talked about, like the, the flood, you know, quote-unquote myth. Uh, yeah. I, I don't know the exact number without looking it up, but I know it's like something like over 200 cultures around the world have these traditions of a, of a great flood, a great disaster that basically wiped yep. out life on Earth. So, again, you know, I, I don't know. I'm sure that there's a rebuttal from the scientific community that would say, well, this is why they would have come up with that. Look, I, I can I can honestly understand every culture believing there's something greater than ourselves, you know, whether it's a god, multiple, I, I, I get that. But things like the flood, okay, why would you make that story up? Uh, if you lived on an island, maybe, but not all of these cultures obviously lived on islands in the ocean, so. Exactly, yeah. Yeah, there, there, yeah. there are some very, and, and again, giants, you know, it's nearly every culture had some tradition of giants. Now, were they eight feet tall? Were they 18 feet tall? That, well, the whole point to me is that, well, if they're not standard humans as we know them, average height kind of five, five and a half feet at that time, then they were something else. Even if they were homo sapiens as we know them, they're still outliers to be seven, eight, nine feet tall. Yeah, and we still get occurrences of that, you know, in the present day too, with like just people, giant people. Like there's there's like seven, eight feet tall people right now. I think one of the the tallest people on Earth is from China. I think yep. right now. Yeah. Well, interesting um, unknown fact to the listeners and to yourself about that. Uh, my stepfather, who was born in the twenties and fought in World War Two. He knew Robert Wadlow, uh-huh. who was the guy who was 8 feet 11. Uh, oh, wow. he's, yeah, he's the guy in the Guinness Book of World Records for being the tallest ever 
certified really? human. Yeah. So he was eight eight feet eleven, and basically he died. I think of his pituitary issue. His um, he had leg braces, yeah. and his leg braces caused a sore on his leg because he couldn't stand properly, mm. as you can imagine. And he ended up getting an infection, as and as it was before the days of antibiotics, he died from that. And yeah. He was either in his you know oh, kind wow. of twenties or thirties. Yeah, he wasn't very old. Yeah, my, right. my uh, as as with anything, you know, um, a lot of a lot of the stories my dad told you could never be one hundred percent sure. But uh, <laughs> you know, he he did live it. He did live in that area. I think Robert Wadlow lived in and around St. Louis area somewhere roughly. So um, I, I wouldn't doubt it. Okay. Yeah, it's it, it again. It's fascinating. You know, you even look at these basketball players or. Uh, yeah. in any other sport. And I've heard so many times where people will tell me, oh, they're not that big. And then when you go and see them in person, it's like, uh, yes, they are. <laughs> right? Yeah, they just tower over you, man. That's another thing I loved looking at when I was a kid was the Guinness Book of World Records, oh, yeah, man. That's yeah. That was just something to just be in awe of when I was a kid, like those people with the curly fingernails yep, and the... Yep. Yeah, the fat guys on the motorcycles. Yeah. You know, I love that. That was, that was the best. No, I, I, look, I, I agree. Guinness Book of World Records for me and also Ripley's Believe It or Not. I uh, used yes. to go and always get those books out and read all of the, the these cartoon drawings. I can always remember those really obscure facts out of Ripley's, and people were like, where the hell did you get that from? It's like, oh, Ripley's Believe It or Not. And yep. uh, I saw that they had a show on for a while on the Discovery Channel, uh, that was kind of the new Ripley's Believe It or Not, but it's nothing like that one from the 80s with Jack Palance. Right. He with was, Jack, yep. oh man, he was just the, the perfect host for that show uh, because he, you know, he could just sell, he, he had that, because he always played a villain in the in the Westerns. Yeah, he was kind of creepy. Oh, yeah. He was perfect, man. And, and that was, I mean, uh, that's one show I tend to forget when, I, when people say, oh, Unsolved Mysteries and these different shows. I always forget about those 80s episodes of... Ripley's Believe It or Not. Actually, again, you know, another little fun fact. One of the Ripley's Believe It or Not things that I won a bar bet on was the fact that up until the 1930s, it was generally thought that tomatoes would kill you eating them fresh. Wow. And yeah, because tomatoes are in the nightshade family. And this guy in Chicago, I want to say it was either Chicago or New York, he was struggling to sell fresh tomatoes. And so he basically did the whole carnival barker routine. And he stood up and he ate a bunch of tomatoes and all these people were standing around waiting for him to die. And really? he didn't, yeah, he didn't die. So they were like, oh, sweet, you know? So his, I think he basically bet the crowd, if I, if I eat like 10 tomatoes or whatever and don't die, will you buy some? And so, yeah, he had, I just thought it was awesome, you know? This, uh, this, That's this, a great way to get rid of tomatoes. <laughs> yeah, man. And um, it, it, it's amazing those things before the days of having your phone or having the internet and you could just look it up. Uh, if you didn't know, I guess you had to go to the wisest man in town or go to the library and try and work yeah. out if it was true. So, Right. Yep. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It, it, again, it's just one of those little random facts, but it's in the nightshade family, like I say. So I guess they just thought such a deadly poison. Well, tomatoes must be poisonous, too. Yeah, I'm still not a fan of tomatoes that much. But. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, look, I, 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 full, full disclosure, folks, I worked in an Italian restaurant for two and a half years, so. I would have been beaten with the giant wooden ladle that I stirred the sauce with if I said anything against, <laughs> against tomatoes. So. How come you don't like a tomato? Pretty, pretty much. Mr. Vinciguero would have, yeah, he would have beat me with the ore. We used to call it an ore because that's what it looked like, stirring this huge pot that was about, yeah, probably 
50 gallons worth of tomato sauce at a time. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, it was interesting <laughs> stuff. All right, so uh, Russ, um, here's a good one for you. And I've thought about this as well in the past. And this is a bit of that whole spin of if you could spend an hour, you know, there's the old if you could spend an hour with any person alive or dead. And this one is uh-huh. um, if you could pick one person in the overall alternative theories field that's alive or dead to be your mentor and learn from, who would it be and why? Ah, oh, that's interesting. Um I would have to say uh, Zachariah Sitchin, um, right, right. for sure, would be one of the, the guys I would love to just pick his brain. I'd like to find out like why or how he got these translations and just see if it's actually real. I know there's a lot of like speculation when it comes to his work. And there's a there's a you know a famous debunker site you know SitchinWasWrong.com I think it's called, <laughs> but he's the guy that actually runs that site is is a very interesting guy and he's a, I think he's a a, a religious major and and knows the Bible in and out. And okay. It's, for him for me I mean I grew up reading this stuff and it, it just blew my mind back in the day to to think of uh, there was an ancient race of of beings coming down you know at at particular times right. in our history and to to have somebody that that was at the forefront of finding this out if this is true to be and talk to him would be you know i i, I believe he died within the last 10 years zachariah sitchin but um that would be one guy definitely him or eric von Dine, eric von danigan i think would be another one too just one of the the godfathers right, of uh, right. ancient alien theory, I think. So, right. Either one of those guys, you know, to, to sit there and have breakfast and eat, drink coffee <laughs> with them would be uh, would be yes. fun. That's for sure. No, um, uh, fair enough. And uh, I'm sure that you know this, but a lot of people may not know. Basically, Eric von Donneken is uh, Giorgio Sukalos's mentor. So you yes. know the the guy that everybody says, oh aliens, the guy with the <laughs> with the big Greek hair. Yeah, if it, if it wasn't yeah. for Eric von Donneken, he's said multiple times he probably never would have been interested in doing ancient aliens and all the kind of things that he covers. Yep, yeah, I you know I I just uh, I read a post of his on Instagram, something to do about the the coronavirus. I was actually this kind of struck me odd, you know, like if you can believe in ancient alien theory as, as being a truth in your life, right. you know, but they can't get around the fact that this virus could be also, you know, a hoax right. at the same time. You know, it's like, I, I was listening to a podcast this morning with Linda Moulton Howe and uh, they were talking about coronavirus. You know. One of my this favorites. Is who, yeah. Yeah. But, but she was, uh, she was really adamant that this is, you know, a real pandemic, and this is, um, you know, and to an extent it is. I agree, I agree, and I don't want to get too, yeah, you know, yeah, topical on it or whatever. But like, you know, you can believe in this this whole shadow alien government, but you can't believe that this might be some kind of a a takeover, yeah. you know, or 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 planned event of some kind. I don't know. I, I'm a true believer of like you got to believe the whole thing, <laughs> you know. <laughs> fair enough. Fair enough. You know, it's like you, it's either it's either we're all screwed from the get go, <laughs> yeah, yeah. or you know, it's like I don't know. But then again, there there are things that 
I do believe and don't believe. So it's 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 a it's a tough call, but I, I just kind of yeah. found that funny. I don't know, but uh, you know, uh, look, look, uh, I fully agree. You know, there's there's lots of things where people may wonder, oh, what do you think? Well, this is why I do the paranormal sun the way I do, because if I ran out there telling everyone what I thought or what to think, I, I look. What we deal in to many people in the you know the quote mainstream, we're we're nuts anyway. What is the difference between yeah, right. me? Yeah. What <laughs> what's the difference of between me saying I believe in this UFO crash, but oh no, your Nazi base in Antarctica that's absolute BS. I mean, it, it it's yeah. it's it's kind of disingenuous for me to sit there and rain on someone else's parade. So don't don't get me wrong. I, I do my best, and some of these series you'll hear me laugh. I try not to laugh while I'm recording it. But yeah, some of them are just no, a bit difficult. Too. Yeah, so, some yeah. are a bit difficult for me to follow. But again, I I do my best to keep an open mind. Most of the ones mm-hmm. that I just struggle to even get out of first gear with, it's because me personally, I feel that I've seen some proof to the contrary. Uh, but still, uh, if if yeah. if I had someone from one of those topics, that's let's just say a scale of one to ten, I might think it's a one. And they were polite, and they were respectful, and they wanted to be on the program. By all means, I would have them on the program because the program isn't so much about doing that Art Bell or it's not about me really questioning them so much. It would be very difficult for me to keep a straight face. Thankfully, I only do audio. So, uh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> no Zoom call on that no, one, right? No, 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 no Zoom call. <laughs> No, uh, no looking in the mirror. I'll just, uh, I'll be polite and I'll just tell the guests, look, I'll try and edit out all of the laughing, but um, I might, <laughs> I might not get it all out. But, but again, I just, I, yeah. I just found it funny that that she was really adamant about it being like completely real, and this is what we should do. We, you know, we have to wear masks. We gotta, you know, shut down the economy. You know, and it, for somebody that is a, an advocate for the, basically, we're we're living under an alien shadow shadow government. It's like. Okay, well, don't you think that this could be part of that, you know? And well, it's kind of interesting the 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 different opinion she had on it. I I thought for sure she would have something more of an open mind on it, but it was weird. She I mean there there could be a few things there. Maybe she's known someone in and around her family that gotten sick or passed away and sure, obviously, okay. yeah, I don't know that. I'm I'm just this is pure conjecture, but that could be right. it. It could also be, uh, and again, no knock on Linda. I mean, Linda's the same age as my mother would be if she was still alive. Uh, a lot of people of that older generation are a lot oh, yeah. less distrustful of the government. I mean, obviously, she doesn't trust them all the way because uh, what I would say, if, if I had to guess just from my own listening to Linda, it would be that she has had people come out and tell her, for example, about cattle mutilations, people in the military, everything else. Maybe she just hasn't had a whistleblower to come out and tell her that, hey, this is a setup or whatever it is. And maybe that's why she doesn't put stock in it. That, that's Possibly, just a, yeah. yeah, that's just a, a pure guess. But again, I mean, COVID has basically been here for not even a year. And cattle mutilations have been going on before you and I were born. So it's a yeah. little bit different. I mean, People coming out of the woodwork over a 40 or 50 year period is a lot different than over a year. Right. If your job's yeah. on the line and you're not going to retire, most people aren't going to probably go from I'm all in to I'm going to retire and blow the whistle in 12 months. Yeah. And I don't know. I, I talk a lot of smack about it um, just because it hasn't affected yeah. me really in any way. And 
and I actually have a friend of mine where his mom got it and got really sick too, but I just, I still, I'm kind of leery still about yeah. it because it, 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 to me, it just seems like you bring something up in the news, right? Yeah. It becomes part of everyday language and everyone's aware of it, you know, whereas if this wasn't in the news and every eight or 10th person is getting sick, you don't necessarily hear about it. Yeah. You know, you, you, it's kind of like the Kevin Bacon yeah, yeah. Um, six, thing. Six with, degrees of Kevin Bacon exactly, or whatever it is. Yeah. Exactly, yeah. You know, and if and if this wasn't in the news at all, you wouldn't hear anything about it. Yeah. You know, or, or you just, oh, your, your family member's sick uh, from something that happens like every year. Right. You know, it, that's what I kind of see it as. It, it's it's uh, elevated by the media in and that aspect we've been through what we've been through the sars we've been through yeah um all of, I'm, I'm trying to think ebola. of the bird flu yeah ebola the we, bird flu yeah we, we we've had yeah. so many times in the past 20 years let's say where they basically blown the whistle and, and said now again i know lots of people died from those in other countries but again if you were in the u.s what are the odds of anyone actually knowing someone that came down with the bird flu or, sure, yeah, right. you know, it would be very similar almost to like the hauntavirus, which is like 20 people a year. And I'm a bit mixed on it. And the reason I say that is I think sooner or later, there will be a virus that's going to get loose that we're going to be ill prepared for as a species just due to random number generator, basically. And we had the Spanish flu pandemic in 1918 or whatever it was around that 1918 1919 so so again but as with you there's nothing wrong as i've said on the program so many times in in my humble opinion there's nothing wrong with having a skeptical mind and allowing things to play out and saying hey look i will reserve judgment it's like i say it's just like in any argument it's the people that basically go into a situation to prove that you're, it's wrong, it doesn't exist. It's like, okay. Well. And I find it funny, too, that there's like a boogeyman involved. It's yeah. China, you know? Oh, like, of course oh, my it's gosh, Chi- it came yeah. from China. Yeah. You know, and, and, and they're, what, the, the second leading economy in the yeah. world right now yeah. next to us? Yeah. It's, I just find that kind of convenient, you know, because it wouldn't just come out of nowhere, yeah. you know? Like, it has to be, it has to come from somewhere, Yeah, you know? Yeah. And oh. that's kind of convenient as well, I think. Like, because if it, if it did come out of nowhere, like people would question it even more. I think why is just this all of a sudden happening now? Yeah, you know. Yeah. Uh, so we have to have some kind of a boogeyman, just like you know, nine eleven. We have to have the Al Qaeda. We have to have Osama bin Laden as the boogeyman. Yeah. Of why this happened, <laughs> and then and look what happened. We 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 took over that whole area of the world. Look, uh, the U.S. military, I believe, spends more money every year than the next 11 or 13 militaries combined. But um, <laughs> I, do, I do really, really hope from the bottom of my heart that I don't, I don't really think that the people sitting in the Pentagon are so naive, but I hope that maybe some other interests involved in this uh, have got their crap together and basically don't think that going into China is going to be like going into yeah. Iraq or, yeah, because. Look, I, yeah. I, I, I would really prefer not to uh, look outside and be able to see in full darkness everything glowing. Uh, that would not really be something I would be keen to exactly. do. Exactly. <laughs> what did they say, too? They have 8 million soldiers, something like that? Yeah. Uh, nope. Well, you know, Not going to be an easy, an easy thing to do. What, 
what was that famous quote from the Princess Bride? Never get into a land war in Asia? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. Not not that that stopped the British, the French, the Germans, the the American. You know what I mean. So, yeah, don't don't get me wrong. But I every time I I, I hear about oh, we're going into this country or that country, I always think of I can't think of the actor's name, but you know, aha, never get into a, a land war in Asia. You know, yeah, well, ha <laughs> you fool, you fell victim to one of the classic blunders. The most famous is never get involved in a land war in Asia, but only slightly less well-known is this. Never go in against a Sicilian when death is on the line. <laughs> is that Not Mel Brooks? <laughs> <laughs> no, no, it was the, uh, I can't think of his name. It was the bald, it was the bald guy, the one that oh, was uh, yeah. the brains. Yeah, uh, the yeah, one, yeah, 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 was, yeah. great, <laughs> great movie. movie, yeah. Russ, this is a very important question for someone who is interested in the shadow government, UFOs, and all that goes on. And this, I, I took inspiration from this question from a very famous uh, debriefing that Art Bell used to get from John Lear. And I've just boiled it down, so it basically comes down to this. If a purported UFO landed in front of you, and entities came out to greet you, and they asked you to go with them, but you did not know for sure if you would come back, would you go? Wow. Um, yeah, I think I would. I, I would totally go. <laughs> Just because, you know, you're never going to get that that chance again. And who knows, you know, they might drop you off after they're done. <laughs> <laughs> well, 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 that's it. If you go back and you listen to some of the contactees from the 1950s, they take you to oh, Pluto yeah. and, and Jupiter and yeah. everything else and bring you back after. So, you know, maybe it would just yep. be, yeah, maybe it would just be, hey, look, we're going to go to Pluto and get a gelato, and then we're going to be back in 20 we're minutes. Coming so, right back. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but um, No, but for definitely for sure I would yeah. I would go. Um, why, you know, it's like I know I would, you know, miss everybody back here, but to, to give up a chance to, to do that for sure I would I would go in a heartbeat. Yeah, it's, it, it, look, it, it's a really interesting question, and I was trying to think of who it was. It's someone who's passed away now, and they used to go on Coast to Coast quite a bit, and, and he always would say, every time he would be on every uh, 18 months or two years, he would go, you know, the older I get, the easier it is to say yes. Just right? say yeah, exactly. <laughs> he, he'd say, you know, I've, I've pretty much found out what I can in my mortal existence here on Earth, and I don't think anybody from the Illuminati or whoever you want to title them as, is going to drop a dossier with a bunch of information for me. As you say, I think that I would owe it to myself and owe it to mankind to go and figure out what's going on. Yeah, you know, and who's to say we haven't gone already and come back? Well, again, it's, you know, it's something we've talked about so many times is that with all the smoke and all of the disinformation floating around, there could be literally hundreds or thousands of people that tell us We've done this. We've and everybody's just saying, "Oh, they're insane," or just need their psycho tablets updated, or yeah. and, and and that's the thing. It's it's become so difficult. The waters are so muddied, especially in the UFO field, and it's such a divisive topic. Even now, here here we think, okay, we're living in 2020, and most people are pretty open to the whole idea of UFOs and there being life elsewhere, but. What I find so often, what I've seen on other threads posted on social media net, there's basically two groups, it seems like. There's the group that says, 
I'm a true believer, whatever it is, everything's real. And then there's mm-hmm. the other group is basically, oh, well, UFOs might exist, but they've never landed here. And they're just yeah. so certain of it. They're just like, oh, well, I haven't seen it. And hey, look, that, that's fine if that's what they want to believe. But it is amazing how entrenched those viewpoints are. It's like, well, they, they might be out there somewhere in the universe, but they're not here. Well, pff, once you've opened the Pandora's box of saying we're not the only intelligent life in the universe, I think it's very disingenuous to just say carte blanche. Uh, well, it's impossible that ever in the four billion year history of Earth or five billion years that they've never come here. Right. Yeah. And, and with what we like, the little that we know of our history to begin with, you yeah. know, to to shut something down so so strictly is is kind of interesting to me. Like, I don't understand why why they're so stubborn when it comes to something like that. Having an open mind. Look at look at the the variety of different genres of the UFO and alien topic. There's you have like the metaphysical right part of it with uh, like New Age spirituality. You have multidimensional beings. You have the use of psychedelia, the use of uh, DMT and people experiencing entities coming to them and thanking them for showing them right, the ability right. to speak with them. You know, like that is, to me, just blows my mind. Like, could, there be, could there be aliens uh, that are interdimensional that we just can't see and that are always here but can't talk to us because of our limited perception right. of reality? There's all that aspect, too. And that's why I love this this whole field is because you know it's it's limitless from every direction. There's there's something that can whittle its way into this area. It just amazes me. It, I love it. <laughs> for for me personally, I mean, it's uh, again like like you. We've had these talks over and over. I've been studying this stuff on and off as long as I can remember reading things. But for those listeners out there who some of these terms you hear bandied around, things like string theory and multidimensional, multi-universe, mm-hmm. it all sounds like a bit of gibberish. Do yourself a favor, folks. Go and look on someplace like YouTube and look up Michua Kaku, okay? He's yes. a theoretical physicist. And when I first heard him talking on Coast to Coast and talking about, uh, like in your interview, I'm sorry, I can't remember your friend you did the interview with on his oh, podcast. Yes. Yeah. Ken Jenkins from... Um his podcast all one time live yes and and i've got to go over there and deep delve into some of his episodes because i really like the conversation you two had but you were discussing on there the kardashev scale and civilizations as soon as you were talking about that i was thinking of michu akaku because i i heard him on coast to coast the first time probably 15 years ago and man (laughs) it's for people because Look, there are things that physicists and that can talk about, and I just feel like an idiot. So to have someone break it down and (laughs) simplify it, folks, if there are terms you hear all the time, you hear them bandied around, like I say, string theory is one of the big ones, go over there and you can find his clips all over YouTube. He does an awesome job of explaining it in layman's terms, and he's a very intelligent man, and he's one of the first people that I listened to, and I went, man, I love this guy because he's just that whole high horse mentality is not there with this man. He, no, he, he right. takes his, yeah, he takes his time to break it all down for you and explain it in a way that everyone can understand. When we physicists look in outer space for alien life, we don't look for little green men. We look for type one, type two, and type three civilizations. A type one civilization has harnessed planetary power. They control earthquakes, the weather, 
volcanoes. They have cities on the ocean. Anything planetary, they control. That's type one. A type two civilization is stellar. They've exhausted the power of the planet, and they get their energy directly from their mother star. Thetos don't get a suntan on a weekend. They use solar flares. They use the power of the sun itself to energize their huge machines. Eventually, they exhaust the power of a star, and they go galactic. They harness the power of billions of stars within a galaxy. Now, for example, Buck Rogers would correspond to a Type One civilization, a planetary civilization. Star Trek and the Federation of Planets, who have colonized a few star systems, would correspond to a Type Two system. And the Empire of Star Wars would correspond to a Type Three civilization. Now, what are we on this scale? We are Type Zero. We don't even rate on this scale. We get our energy from, not from stars or galaxies, we get our energy from dead plants, oil and coal. But we can calculate when we will attain type one status in about a hundred years. Now, every time I read the newspaper, I see evidence of this historic transition from type zero to type one. He actually uh, is quoted to uh, believe that we might get disclosure uh, this year nice. by the end of the year. So who knows? You've mentioned that we just might make contact with aliens or at least hear from them within this century. Can you elaborate on your intuition behind that optimism? Well, this is pure speculation, of course. Of course. But given the fact that we've already identified 4,000 exoplanets orbiting other stars, and we have a census of the Milky Way galaxy for the first time, we know that on average, every single star, on average, has a planet going around it, and about one-fifth or so of them have Earth-sized planets going around them. So just do the math. We're talking about out of 100 billion stars in the Milky Way galaxy, we're talking about billions of potential Earth-sized planets. And to believe that we're the only one is, I think, rather ridiculous, given the odds. And how many galaxies are there? Within sight of the Hubble Space Telescope, there are about 100 billion galaxies. So do the math. How many stars are there in the visible universe? 100 billion galaxies times 100 billion stars per galaxy. We're talking about a number beyond human imagination. And to believe that we're the only ones, I think, is, is rather ridiculous. Well, I think, again, not to speak for you, but if I had to guess, Russ, I would say you're probably in the same boat that I am, which is when it happens, it'll happen because I've, I've heard this. I've been hearing this now at least since 2000, where not everyone, but there'll be certain quote-unquote experts that will come out and say, oh, now this is the year 2000. We're going to have Y2K yeah. is not going to happen, but we're going to have this ascendancy of man. And then, of course, we heard it with uh, the 2012 with the Mayan prophecies, and we've yeah. just heard it over and over and over. And some people <laughs> claim, I can't remember which one it is, but it's one of the fairly well-known ufologist right now, and he's basically said, oh, disclosure's already happened as far as what we're going to know. It's just that it's coming from individuals versus the government. And sure. And again, not to get too far off topic, but what you and I talked about before, I've heard some of these really fascinating tales, and I'd have to go back and track them down, about agents from the government in the 60s and 70s basically going to Hollywood saying, 
we want you to do a documentary on UFOs. And the, uh, the director or producer might say, I don't have that kind of budget. They go, no, 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 you don't understand. We've got uh, the video. We've got the photos. We've got everything's done. All you have to do is agree to make the film. And they'll basically huh. go through all of the work to prepare for this. And then at the 11th hour, they'll either never hear from this person again, or they'll basically get it jerked out from under them after they've been shown things and everything else. There are questions about, is this a way of slow leaking things out? So that, again, it's just some director or third-hand story that there's, for example, there's the famous supposed uh, video footage at Holloman Air Force Base of flying saucers landing, basically having a meeting with Eisenhower, I think, in 56. Oh, yeah. 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 And uh, it was either... Where they were shaking hands and stuff. And, yeah. And, and it, was yep. one of, it was one of the uh, astronauts, I can't remember which one, but he's passed on now, and he basically said, look... This footage existed. I saw it with my own eyes. And then it basically went off to Washington. It went into the deep dark hole and never came out again. It was one of the astronauts that was not known as a... He was a straight shooter. And I can't remember who it was okay. off the top of my head. This is the story of astronaut Gordon Cooper who witnessed many times UFO sightings. In 1957, when Cooper was 30 and a captain... He was assigned to fighter section of the Experimental Flight Test Engineering Division at Edwards AFB in California. He acted as a test pilot and project manager. On May the 3rd of that year, he had a crew setting up an Ascania Cine Theodolite precision landing system on a dry lake bed. This Cine Theodolite system would take pictures at one frame per second as an aircraft landed. The crew consisted of James Bittick and Jack Gettys, who worked at the site and used both still and motion picture cameras. According to his accounts, later that morning they returned to report to Cooper that they saw a strange-looking saucer-like aircraft that did not make a sound either on landing or takeoff. He said the quality of the photography was excellent as would be expected from the experienced photographers who took them. What he saw was exactly what they had described to him. He did not see the movie film before everything was sent away. He expected that there would be a follow-up investigation since an aircraft of unknown origin had landed in a highly classified military installation but nothing was ever said of the incident again. He was never able to track down what happened to those photos. He assumed that they ended up going to the Air Force's official UFO investigation, Project Blue Book, which was based at Wright-Patterson Air Force Base. To me, it's fascinating because it's almost like you've got a curtain blocking out the light, and every once in a while, the, the breeze just blows a corner of that curtain and you see what's behind it and you just see like you hear some of these things and you're like man if this really happened it's it's just going to blow the lid off of everything yeah and i think i remember seeing those pictures with eisenhower and and it's funny because those aliens looked like realistic back then yeah you know and that's what strikes me odd about that because when you think of aliens in the 50s, you think of like uh, antennas and 
like cheesy, you know, sitcoms. <laughs> yeah, a frog, and you a don't frog think with of, a fishbowl on its head. Yeah, yeah, you don't <laughs> think of the 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 classic gray alien yeah. like yeah. you do nowadays, and that's what that was showing that that yeah. movie, and yeah, that's that's interesting. I, I, I will. We, I yeah. don't know. We kind we we kind of got a soft disclosure too with the whole uh, Tom DeLonge and the yeah. the UAP thing too this year. And they're claiming to the Pentagon that they have a piece of extraterrestrial spacecraft. And wasn't that like, wasn't that like uh, brought up to Congress this year? Yeah. Again, hidden behind the election and COVID and everything yeah. else. Yeah. Perfect timing, uh, right? Uh, of course, perfect timing. Look, folks, there's there's always something going on like this. It seems like when these types of things come out. Oh, what do you know? There's a big news story that's just hit. There's some scandal or or some cycle or we've invaded another country in the Middle East. Uh, so don't mm-hmm. pay attention. I, I remember not too long ago, you know, somebody saying to me through social media, as you would expect, oh, this is all BS and anybody who sees anything is crazy. And, and I just said to him, hey, look, man, you can say that a large proportion of these may not be true, but it only takes one. And there have been materials recovered that people have looked at and basically said, well, if you're hoaxing it, I want to know how you could manipulate structures on a subatomic level. You could basically turn, you could basically build something molecule by molecule because if you knew how to do it, the Pentagon would like to talk to you because we can't do it now, at least in any current uh, open project that we know about, let's say, uh, nothing that's not in a black project somewhere. So yeah, yeah, again, I know that there are going to be people who throw the baby out with the bathwater and they had a cousin, let's say, who they knew that made up a hoax or something. And so to them, everybody is has made it up. It's all hoaxes. It's all BS. I know some people don't have the energy to look through it all, but if you don't want to look through it and it's not your thing, just keep an open mind. You, you don't have to dump on the whole phenomenon just because you don't agree with with it. You know, I, I guess that's the way I'm trying to say it. Right. Yeah, exactly. Look at look at Bob Lazar and, you know, bringing up element 115 yeah. 20 years ago yeah. when it didn't exist. You know, that's that's one thing right there that kind of pinpoints that we have some kind of reality to this whole this whole topic. And, you know, given, like, he's been dragged through the mud yeah, since then yeah. um, from the times he was on, like, Art Bell and George Knapp's shows, you know, way back in the 90s. Yes. Um, you know, he's his life's been ruined multiple times. But he was talking about Element 115, you know, 20 years ago before it even existed. It was up... Was it 2008 when when yeah, uh, yeah. when setting the periodic table leave room for an extra element? Researchers in Sweden say they've made one by slamming together the atoms of calcium and americium, and it's a beast. Its atomic number is 115, much heavier than lead or uranium. Its temporary name is ununpentium, much harder to say than lead or uranium, but you can't see it. Right after the atoms collided, the element disappeared in a flash of radiation. You can't find it. It doesn't exist in nature. Swedish scientists can't say they invented it. Russian researchers first made this element in 2004. And you can't really do anything with it. They say it's just not practical. Scientists actually discovered it. Yeah. To be real from the the collider or something like that. That's amazing. Well, you know, it's like, I, I can't believe that. 
because of some of the things that John Lear has said, so John Lear's father was the inventor of the Learjet, and John Lear is a pilot with many tens of thousands of flight time, but he said some pretty outlandish stuff, okay? And I think that because of some of the things he said, some of the other things get lost in the cloud of dust. And one of the yeah. things that John Lear and multiple other people said was that every time they went out on the range to look at these things flying from Groom Lake, Bob Lazar would tell them, go out at this time, go to this place, right. and there would They're be there. things out there flying. So if Bob Lazar made this all up, okay, and, and let's say, obviously, no matter what you say about Bob Lazar, he's a very intelligent man, he's well-spoken and everything else, but, but let's just say he was the con man. How the hell would he know about this? Like... Even if he had some kind right. of tip-off from the inside, uh, I mean, he couldn't, they, you know, they change patterns, and anybody who's been in the military and knows things, that's the whole point of the military, is that you are not predictable, so you would not fly every Saturday at 7 p.m. for right. two years, for example, yeah, you, know, you would change the day of the week, you would change the time, you would change the pattern, you would change the area, that is the whole point of keeping things secret. So, the fact that this mm -hmm. man re repeatedly told people, go to this place at this time, etc., and you will see these things. And in fact, that's what ended up in the end. That's how they got caught, because they knew he was going to be out there well, watching right. them. Yeah, and then he got yeah. snapped. So I, yeah. again, you, you don't have to agree with everything Bob Lazar says to believe that some of it's true. It, again, it's the whole thing from Richard Hoagland. It only takes one white crow to prove that all crows are not black. And, and yeah. again, I, I think that with so many people, they... They see that one thread, and it's like that, that loose thread in the shirt, and they start pulling it, and they go, aha, you know, he, there's no proof that he worked at Sandia or whatever. And, it, and, and then they, you, you think about how good the government is at covering up things. Like, here's a perfect example, is all of the people who got dumped with Agent Orange in Vietnam, and the government tried yeah. to say, oh, well, uh, first off, it wasn't harmful. Then it was, oh, they weren't even in the area when this was getting dumped. And, yeah. you know, their doctors are going, uh, hello, they're having immune system failures from this crap. And you're trying to say mm -hmm. that they weren't exposed to it. There's that. There's this, the stuff with the Tuskegee Airmen getting yep. exposed and and so many other cases of radiation and that. I mean, you had all the guys. Oh, yeah. yeah had all the guys in bikini, oh. yeah, standing out there watching the wow. uh, atom bombs going off in the atoll and playing in the uh, playing in the ash as it fell down and the islanders playing in the ash like it was snow. Jeez. Uh, yeah, and and that's why I know. Yeah. <laughs> and we could trust our government. Uh, exactly. <laughs> um, it's just like anything. It, it's probably it's probably a mixture. There are probably well, look, sorry, I know for a fact there are really good people because I've known people in the government at different yes. levels in different countries that are really good, genuine, down to earth people. But we've all heard this saying: one one rotten apple spoils the whole bunch. And when you yep. have people that are in charge of monitoring operations on the U.S. population, as well as people abroad, that stay in there for 30, 40 years, they don't care if the regime changes. They're still there. They're, they're, they're not yep. going to lose their job. I mean, it's, it is basically the old, the Julius Caesar paraphrase the quote, which is, all power corrupts, absolute power corrupts absolutely. I mean... Exactly. If you can get away with it and no one's going to stop you, I mean, what is hey, to stop people from doing whatever the hell they want? Exactly. And that's, and that's one thing about this whole COVID thing. I mean, there is some reality to it, but there is people that, or there are people that will take advantage of this reality. 
you know, and, and use it to their advantage uh, politically, um, you know, for power, for control, uh, for money, for their state, for you name it. You know, like it, it's it's you know, the minute you turn around, you're corrupt, basically, when it comes to being a, a politician, you, you have your buddy, you know, plow the streets for you in his business. Yep, yep. That's corruption. Yep. You know, that, that that's pure corruption right there. That's that's, you know, favoring a company of your friend or whatever like that to do something as opposed to getting it from another source. So it, to say that, like, government's this altruistic, uh, <laughs> you know, branch of, of people working for the better good of mankind, yes, that's complete yes. bullshit to me, I think. You know, it's, yep. it's, it's, it's corrupt the minute you turn around. Not to go too far into what has been a very divisive topic as of late, but look, the, the founding fathers were men just like you and I and everyone else, and they had their flaws. And again, you know, what went on 250 years ago, it's hard to judge them through today's uh, glass as far as I'm concerned. Yeah. But those men back there, because of being so close to the war with England, they did not want people being career politicians. They did not want people being in power forever. George Washington, mm -hmm. they basically came to George Washington at the end of the war and said, we want to make you dictator for life. Right. We want yeah. to make you yeah. the king of America. He was at the highest point of his power. He was beloved by the people. He could have been a dictator for life. And this man said, no, no man should be. This is what we just fought against. Not to install yep. me as a king. Why didn't George Washington want to become king at the end of the American Revolutionary War? Well, he didn't fight the war to become a king. He fought the war to redress their complaints against parliament, against the crown and to create an independent United States. And of course, one of the reasons they decided to fight for independence of the United States uh, was the very persuasive arguments made by Thomas Paine in the book Common Sense, which came out in January of 1776. It was a phenomenon, a bestseller. And what it did was it argued about the stupidity of hereditary power, that is, power that comes uh, based on who your parents were. So if you are born a prince, then you become king and your children become king. Uh, that was seen to be a foolish way to govern a people. That people should be able to choose their leaders and choose the best leaders so that they can govern themselves. And so these ideas were very much a part of why the Americans were fighting for independence to begin with. And so George Washington at the end of the war uh, believed in that very much, that it was up to the people to choose how they would rule themselves. And so he, at the end of the war, resigned his commission in the military and returned as a private citizen to George Washington's Mount Vernon. It was an extraordinary act when he did it because in so many other great revolutions and wars, the, the military leaders took over. They took over power. Yeah. They're men, they had flaws, and again, the time was very different. I'm not saying that a lot of the things that went on should have went on or are okay. But to just tar everyone with this villainous brush that, oh, yeah, they were just power hungry. If, if people like that were power hungry, like I say, why wouldn't have George Washington become the king of America? Yeah. And some, some wanted him to be. What, that, who's the guy that has the play about him? Oh, Hamilton. Yeah. Like, yeah. I think he was one of the guys that was suggesting that, I believe, wasn't it? Well, there, there were quite or was a Was he around back then? I don't remember. Yeah. I don't know. No, no. He, <laughs> He, he was. He was a founding father. And, and you're right. Um, okay. There were several of them that basically were prompting him to basically go out and were just basically saying, if you go and ask the people, they'll, they'll give it to you. They'll give you anything you want. 
So just go and ask, you know, and they were, they were pressuring him to do it. And George Washington, to his credit, said, no, this is what we just fought 13 years or 14 years, whatever it was, right. to rid ourselves from. Why would I now want to set myself up as a tyrant? And he had a lot of thoughts because, again, he'd studied classically. Benjamin Franklin had studied classically. And, and again, these men were men. They were far from being uh, foolproof, but as we all know, people like this, as time goes on, uh, we tend to forget some of their flaws. And Benjamin Franklin was another one. When he passed away, you know what he wanted to be printed on his uh, gravestone? That? He just wanted it to say, Benjamin Franklin, printer. That's all he wanted his gravestone to say. <laughs> he didn't want nice. any of the accolades. That, that's it. I mean, he was, I, I don't know, but that now that, to me, it, sitting on the park bench, spending an hour talking to someone, I think Benjamin Franklin would be a fascinating person oh, to go yeah. back and yeah talk to because he was just such a renaissance man on so many levels the, the the things he invented and some of the things he knew and of course some of the people he knew i do believe a bunch of those guys saw ufos too if i'm not mistaken well i know uh, benjamin franklin did and i believe uh george washington saw things there yeah there there's the famous story of george washington that i only i've only heard about in kind of like the last 10 years and that was that he had a vision while he was at Valley Forge. And basically, in his vision, yes. he was shown the future and he was shown what was going to happen to America and everything else. Now, I haven't dug too deep into that, but my understanding is this is not one of those 15-minute hoaxes that got inserted into some almanac that you could very quickly go and say, oh, this is BS. There were definitely some legs to this story. And there were all, hmm. I've also heard tales that George Washington and his men saw certain things while they were camped at Valley Forge. I want to say it was in 77 or 1778, one of those years, uh, the hard winters. But yeah, look, uh, you, you're right. Through the lens of history, so many people say, oh, well, it was just, a, uh, it was just an expression of, of a feeling. Or Again, yeah. we'll never know. <laughs> but uh, I, I just love how it's like, well, whatever... The explanation is I want it to be. Then you know we'll say it's that. We'll we'll just yeah. explain it away that way. It's it's like the uh, classic swamp gas lighthouses and the planet Venus. Yep, yep. It's just a patriotic vision. Yes, yeah. But <laughs> uh, it was yeah, just an analogy. He he wasn't actually talking about being a silver disc in the sky. He was just he's talking about his his uh, utopia of America. You know, his picture of a perfect America. The Shining City on the Hill. Yeah, right. That's what it was. That's it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Russ, one here I've got for you as well is that if there was one topic that kind of the mainstream academia labels as a conspiracy theory that you are most confident in that's true, what what would you say it is? Well, I, I, you know, next to this whole COVID thing going on right now, um, which I'm not too sure about, I, I would have to say 9-11 for sure is something's fishy about that. There's just so much stuff that's just way too convenient. What? You mean like the missing, the missing gold? The missing gold, the $3 trillion, uh, the, uh, what is that, Building 7 just falling down two blocks away, yeah. you know, somehow. Yeah. Trucks appearing weeks before, doing wiring around the building. And I just the, heard... Uh, the, uh, the, the passport being found in the street perfectly oh, yeah. placed. Yeah, just yeah. floating down like a feather, you know. <laughs> Um, what else? Uh, I just heard that one of Bush's brothers was in, in, uh, was he was a higher up in a company that, that did like internal 
wiring. I don't know if it was an IT company right, right. or something like that. So, you know, if if they're asking, well, how did they get in there and do that? I'm like, well, there you go. <laughs> you know, just like having your friend plow the streets for you. Right. It's like, uh, and, and, and the, the fighter jets were conveniently on a... Uh, a realistic uh, training mission yeah. to the north, super far away. Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Man, you could just go on and on and on. Well, and again, folks, look, anyone who's listening who might take a bit of an affront to this, they, maybe you knew somebody who, who died. Just because you talk about something, we, it, it's just like anything. There are parts of it that we can fully believe. Just because we believe part of this doesn't mean that every little detail that everyone has ever said about 9-11 is necessarily something that I or anyone else agrees with. So all, all I'm saying, folks, is if you're sitting there right now listening to this and going, oh, you know, hey, all we're saying is that there are definitely some things there that make you scratch your head and go, it's awfully convenient how a lot of these things happened. Russ and I have talked about this before. And then at the end of this, so this obviously happened September 11th, and at the end of the year when everybody's away for Christmas and that, let's ram through that Patriot Act, let's get it through Congress, and we don't want any discussion about it, so let's make sure that we do it around this time, which again, ironically enough, is the same time of the year that the Federal Reserve Act got rammed through in 1913. People, yep, thoughts are away on Christmas holidays and everything else, so yeah, um, for me, let's I look mean, for more yeah. of that this year too. By the way, probably, yeah, I wouldn't doubt if they ramp something else through, you know, underneath our noses throughout this holiday season. So, oh yeah, we'll I, see. I, I, I would not be one bit surprised. I, I hope. Look, with all of these things, folks, as far as I'm concerned, I always hope that I'm wrong, and I, I hope that it's not going right. to happen. But I would say that over the years since the '90s, when I really started, kind of. Looking at the patterns, um, I would say that probably 80% of the time, what I kind of envisage, it might not exactly, I I don't do timelines, but it's over the longer term, I've got these feelings that this is going to happen or that's going to happen, and generally they do come true. For for me, very much in that same vein as 9-11, it's uh, basically Pearl Harbor. I definitely feel that someone in the government, whether it was FDR or whether it was someone quite high up, knew what was happening. They knew that the Japanese were going to bomb Pearl Harbor. It has been proven that there were Japanese spies that were sitting up watching the U.S. do training exercises of basically what Hmm. an enemy would do at Pearl Harbor. They followed the training exercises to the letter. So what they did in this mock-up was that the U.S. Air Force at the time, the U.S. Army Air Corps, they didn't bomb the fuel tanks. So the Japanese and their plan didn't end up bombing the fuel tanks. Now, people have argued that they didn't send out a third wave because of losses and being worried they were being discovered. But I find it quite interesting that basically they matched this training exercise to a T. And again, Hmm. when I was a kid, people said, oh, this is conjecture. It's conspiracy theory. Now, a lot of it has been proven true. They've proven that this Japanese spy was basically in a residence directly across the water from Pearl Harbor and was taking copious notebooks full of this stuff. Uh, They basically pilloried either, I can't remember which admiral it was, I think it was Admiral King. He basically got blamed for all of this, and it it wasn't his fault. Yeah, he basically got blamed about it, and apparently in the 80s, or I think it was in the 90s, the, the government basically, one of the representatives for the president at the time, it could have even been Bush Jr., They basically went to the family of this admiral and said, hey, look, um, 
yeah, look, we, we screwed up and it wasn't his fault, but we're not going to do any kind wow. of public acknowledgement of this because what would be gained <laughs> to the country and we don't want to kind of dump on the uh, on the legacy of FDR. So, yeah, he, he was basically – they were given an off-the-record, oh, it wasn't yeah, his fault, a, but yeah. Here's yeah. an apology card. Yeah. Uh, that, that, that's <laughs> it. You can know the secret, but no one else can. And I just look back at the history of the U.S. government. Yeah. So going back to the 1920s, where, okay, we have got a revolution in Costa Rica. Oh, oh, oh dear. You've got the, this great big U.S. corporation that owns all these banana fields. And the dictator of the day has decided that he's going to seize this land and give it back to the farmers. So, oh, well, send in the Marines. And before that, the USS Maine being in the Havana Harbor. Now, there have been persistent rumors, and again, I've never seen it. This is 100% a fact, but all lines point to the USS Maine being destroyed by a U.S. saboteur in Havana Harbor okay. so that we could then go to war. Right. Yeah. Uh, it, so, so just to me, I mean, if, if you were saying, John, we will pay, we'll pay for you to retire right now, you give me one, and then we'll tell you if it's true or not, I would go with... Uh, <laughs> Someone high up in the government knowing about Pearl Harbor and basically allowing it to happen. Yeah, right. And that's that's all I'd want to is just nine eleven. I think that yeah. that would be mine. I just and, and I I don't want to be a curmudgeon all the time when it comes to these things. I just <laughs> yeah. you know what is somebody? <laughs> I heard this little saying: if if the answer is government, it was a very bad question. <laughs> <laughs> That's just what my my thoughts on government in general, but like, I don't know. I just uh, I just feel like there's so much, so too many coincidences, too many convenient things that were out of place uh, yeah. for that not to be some kind of inside job, I guess. Uh, if if they did let it happen, right. and they had uh, they had knowledge of it beforehand right, right. and just let it happen. And then maybe kind of coerced it along with some explosives, right? Because um, I don't, I don't think necessarily that that it would have had that big of a stigma unless those towers went down all the way, right? No, I, 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 I would don't, agree. Yeah, and I don't see them going down all the way just by two passenger jets hitting them. They were one of the the best built structures in the United States, built for something like that possibly to happen and and to have them melt like that and continue to melt and and, and smolder for weeks after so it was uh interesting to say the least so may, maybe you have and maybe you haven't but you, do you know that this actually happened long ago not the twin towers but uh near the end of world war ii i want to say it was in 44 a B-25, I believe, flew into the Empire State Building uh, in the fog, hit the Empire State Building. Okay. Basically, oh, wow. yeah, same same deal. Uh, hit the Empire State Building, and obviously the Empire State Building is still standing. The Empire State Building, like all New York, was hidden by fog as a Mitchell bomber, trying to reach Newark Airport, crashed into the tallest structure in the world. Thirteen died, including the crew members, two Army men and a Navy hitchhiker. What happened will never be known, for the flyers in the crash are all dead, and eyewitness accounts vary. One thing is certain, the pilot was off the radio beam. The 79th floor was hardest hit by the crash. 
some people thought it was a Jap balloon bomb. Firemen had to drag their hoses 11 stories to reach the flames on the 79th floor as many elevators were knocked out of order. The bomber hit the north side of the building and the gas threw a sheet of flame which burned workers in this office. When the plane hit the north side of the building, parts of it jammed in the structure and some plummeted down the elevator shaft, while other parts of the B-25 passed through the building, so great was the impact. An elevator dropped from the 75th floor and the safety brakes worked until the seventh floor was reached, then plunged to the sub-basement. Two people were seriously injured. Across the street south of the building, parts of the plane hit a sculptor's studio after crashing through the skyscraper. Here, too, gasoline caught on fire and the loss was heavy. Crowds couldn't believe their eyes as they gazed at the tower and the wreckage in the streets. Repairs go on as authorities work to prevent any such disaster in the future. I know we're talking yeah. about two completely different structural buildings and everything else, the way they were built, different situations. Again, I am not, I am the furthest thing from an engineer, but I, I'm just saying that I don't know about the fires and all that. I don't know how bad the fires were in the Empire State Building, but it definitely happened. And again, um, I believe I read that in Ripley's. But yeah, it definitely happened. It was foggy. Uh, this B-25 was clip either a B-17 or a B-25, and sure enough, flew into the Empire State Building quite high up, obviously, uh, 40 or 50 floors up. But yeah, I've always been fascinated by that, that that is not discussed more by people when they talk about uh, the Twin Towers. I believe there was a, a university that actually proved that that just can't happen to, like, to a structure with jet fuel. I don't know if that had to pertain to Building 7, but I was, I think I posted something like that on Instagram like last year or earlier this year. I think it was a Texas A&M or Texas okay. some. But they basically just proved that it's structurally impossible for something like that to happen and to go down the way it did by just two jets. I, I did find it, uh, again, folks, don't at me if for, for, for what I'm saying <laughs> right. here because it's been a very long time. I remember when 9-11 happened, I was on my way to work, and uh, I had had my car radio stolen, so I didn't have a car radio. The traffic, for whatever reason, that day was really bad. This was in California, so I wasn't on the East Coast. I got to work late, and my boss was a real tyrant, so I expected to get my behind kicked, and I turned up, and I just said to him, oh, look, I'm really sorry, and he kept telling me to shut up. I was like, oh, what am I doing? And he goes, shut up and listen to the radio. And I had a radio that I'd brought to work so we could listen to NFL games on Sunday and um, uh -huh. started listening. And because we're we're just picturing things in our mind, we, we can't, we didn't have TV in the store. But anyway, I mean, I remember at the time just thinking, because we were thinking it was the buildings were full and everything else. But uh, yeah. so anyway, folks, I know it's all I'm saying is it's been a long time. I'm not one of those people that sits down and watches documentaries all the time about it. But I do find it interesting that those cameras were in the locations at the right time to catch these planes as well. Right. You know, very high quality footage from my recollection. It was, you know, obviously we didn't have cell phone footage back then, but this wasn't some guy with a herky-jerky um, 8 millimeter out that just happened to be out there filming at the time. And then in... The correlation with the Pentagon, we've got no footage, which is interesting when you're talking about supposedly one of the most secure buildings in the history of mankind. 
Yeah, thousands of cameras, you know, probably surrounding the entire place. Every single angle you could possibly imagine. <laughs> yeah. And, and it just so happens to hit the accounting department that holds yeah, that's, that's uh, possible financial information where that, you know, $3 trillion might be missing. The, 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 yeah. the $3 trillion that very soon after was revealed to be more like $14 trillion. Um, oh. <laughs> yeah. We are, as they say... Uh, tangled in our anchor chain. Our financial systems are decades old. According to some estimates, we cannot track $2.3 trillion in transactions. We cannot share information from floor to floor in this building because it's stored on dozens of different technological systems that are inaccessible or incompatible. Uh, again, some, some people, because of some of the things they say, all of the information they bring forward gets thrown out. But the person who did the real deep dive on that money and tracing it was Catherine Austin Fitz, who's on Coast to Coast quite a bit. And she's basically the black budget guru as far as doing numbers and that. And she was actually mm -hmm. in, I want to say she was in Reagan's administration. In the, she was assistant secretary of education, something like that. So again, this is not just some crackpot like me with a tinfoil hat on just throwing numbers out there. She actually went through right. all of this. And I, I remember Rumsfeld being on TV talking about this money and, oh, yeah. don't worry, we're going to get to the end, to the bottom of it. And uh, if, it was, if it was just unlucky timing or an unlucky coincidence, uh, I'll tell you what, they really dodged the bullet because we've never heard what happened to that money since. I'm sure it was just an oh. accounting error. Oh, yeah, just uh, you know, a couple of decimals yeah. in the wrong place. A few of those... Yeah, few, few, few million of those five thousand dollar hammers that uh, the defense <laughs> contractors are so famous for. Um, Thirty thousand dollar toilet seats. Yeah. Uh, well, actually, uh, there was a guy when I lived in California. He was he was older. He was he would have been kind of the uh, '60s generation. And this guy had some really fascinating stories. I got to know him pretty well. He he worked for Philco Ford, and he worked for some other defense contractors, and we were talking about kind of what were jobs like back before you had so much automation. And he said, for example, he had one of his jobs when he was in college was he basically had to go over, he worked in this candle factory and he worked night shift. And every 15 minutes or whatever, he'd have to walk over and push a button so that it would re-dip the, the candle uh, into the wax. Okay. And he <laughs> told me that during the Vietnam War, he would work, he worked in basically this office and there was a chute in the wall and there was a blue flashing light. And every time that blue flashing light went on, some bomber in Vietnam, it wasn't the B-52s, but some bomber basically needed this tail light or whatever it was. And so when that light flashed, he dropped one down the chute and it would be expedited off to Vietnam. And he said he fell asleep oh, wow. once and he almost lost his job. Oh, because, wow. Yeah, because before automation, it was just like drop one down the chute and then off it goes on the the fastest yeah. career or whatever it was and look wait he for told the light. <laughs> yeah exactly wait wait for the light and he said he very quickly worked out because it wasn't a buzzer it was just this blue light he said in the end he kind of configured some mirrors around it so no matter where he was laying even if he was asleep he would get this light in his eyes that would wake him up yeah he told me some really interesting stories about the defense industry 
in general and uh, a lot of the kind of nepotism and the uh, kind of political games that went on okay. uh, yeah it, it, definitely there were some really smart people back then of course some of these guys like kelly johnson at skunkworks and that but there were a yeah. lot of people out there man who were just doing the whole um emperor's new clothes thing and it was just like how much money can we make and how fast and then uh, yep. uh off off we go and and uh you'll never see us again we've got our suitcases of money yep exactly uh, it's a lot of this stuff is, uh, what do they call that? A, a transfer of wealth. Oh, yeah. And this time it's big farm. <laughs> and well, here's here's what I found. Like, Okay, university study finds fire did not cause Building 7's collapse on 9-11. And that was the University of Fairbanks, Alaska. Okay. Uh, you can find an article about it on the Architects and Engineers for 9-11 Truth, All right. their website. I knew it was somewhere. I, I thought it was Texas, but it's a University of Alaska. So yeah, so there's there's definitely some there's some science to it coming out um, for possible saboteuring or sabotage of some kind. Well, I I, I think at least it's, with Building Seven. Oh yeah, definitely. That's where I've heard the real like mo- most people's theories about alternate explanations. They really center on Building Seven. And uh, look, I think that obviously. For our time, for my age, that was our Pearl Harbor because everyone will remember right. where they were and everything else. And I think as yeah. time goes on, um, in another, give it another 10 years, give it another 20 years, it's already starting to get that way. When people would challenge it at the time, and now when people challenge it, people don't get nearly so up in arms about it. And again, folks, for some of this to be true and other parts not to be true is, is perfectly possible. I mean, I knew people in the 80s when I was interviewing them about World War II that were extremely defensive about dropping the atom bombs on Japan. And these people were adamant to a man. I mean, the soldiers, the housewives, everything who went through the war, they basically said, look, it wasn't ideal, but if we didn't drop those bombs, in their mind, if we didn't drop those bombs, we were going to lose how many hundreds of thousands of soldiers going into Japan and how many millions of Japanese that would have been killed. And I mean, you, yeah. there's the, of course, there's always revisionist history and the big argument now. And you know what? It's probably not far off base is that it was actually the Red Army uh, steamrolling through Manchuria and then invading the Kuril Islands that really made the emperor say, well, actually, the, the, the jig is up. Irregardless, at that time, you cannot take the last 75 years of, of history and say Harry Truman knew what was going to happen. I mean, it's just you do the best at the time with what you've got. And if you you know, right. felt that you had something that was the difference between 300,000 men dying and them not dying, and you punishing your enemy that you felt started an unjust war, well then, what president would not do that? If you didn't, they would be calling you a traitor. And if it came out later, you know, they, they would be expecting you to be pilloried for it. And fun fact, exactly. folks. Yeah. They, they made so many, fun fact, they made so many Purple Hearts for that invasion of Japan, they were handing out those Purple Hearts still at least until the Gulf War, okay? Wow, that's, that's, that's crazy. Yeah, that's how many they had prepared to go into Japan. So that's Korea, that's Vietnam, and we all know how many people were injured in those wars, and yet they still had enough to be handing them out up until the Gulf War they didn't have to make anymore. Wow, well, that's Russ, crazy. Yeah, hey, hey, look, Russ, as always, man, it's been a brilliant, brilliant time having you on. Time flies. Uh, we've just zoomed through an, uh, an hour and a good bit here, so you're probably <laughs> up to about 90 minutes, and it's been, it's been brilliant, man. I, I really appreciate it. 
And just before we go, though, Russ, I want to really make sure that you get a chance to let the listeners know where they can go and check out Hangar 18 Radio. Uh, where, where can they find you? And how can they support the excellent work that you do? Because you really do cover some good topics. Oh, thanks, JT. Thanks for having me on, man. Um, I just got to say, you are a wealth of knowledge when it comes to all this stuff. And, you know, I don't know if it was the drugs in my youth, but like, (laughs) man, you can, you can really bring up stuff on a, on a drop of a hat. And that, and that's what I like about you. And man, you know, I can, uh, I can sit here and talk to you for hours about this stuff. And we, we have actually, we're only recording this 90 minutes worth, but, but we've (laughs) talked, you know, like just off air for, for hours on end. I think it's been, uh, you know, at least going on 10 so far in the past couple of weeks. So, Hey, I appreciate you having me on, man. I appreciate it. Um, yeah, uh, you could check out my podcast, uh, wherever podcasts are sold. Uh, I'm on, uh, Apple iTunes, Google podcasts, um, a lot of smaller ones. I'm not sure if I'm on Stitcher yet. Check out my Instagram page at hangar 18 radio. Uh, if you'd like to support my podcast, you can simply go to uh, anchor.fm forward slash hangar 18 radio. Uh, on that page, there is a support button you can click and you can donate as little as 99 cents. Nice. And uh, all proceeds will help uh, keep the lights on for me over here. Uh, other than that, I'm grateful for all my listeners. Um, as of right now, I think I'm creeping up on. 2,000 followers on Instagram. Excellent. I might uh, be doing a, a little giveaway uh, in celebration of that, so look look forward to that. Should be pumping out a new episode within the next couple of weeks, too, so uh, make sure to keep an eye out for that. But other than that, JT, man, thanks a lot for having me on. I appreciate it. Oh, of course. You know, uh, hopefully the first of many times that uh, you're on, uh, on the program. I, I always enjoy right having you on. And uh, thanks to you and Jeff over at Badgerland Legends. Uh, I'll have you know that uh, Wisconsin is in my top five states in the U.S. for listenership. Awesome. So <laughs> it's, it's, it's been brilliant all around. Russ, uh, continue pumping out the good content. And I'm always happy to come on Hangar 18 at any time. And folks, I'll have links to Russell's show and to his Instagram page and all that in the show notes as well. So it's only a click away if you want to go over there and check it out. Sounds good. Thank you again, sir. Of course.